you, buddy. They're bad. They're boys. And occasionally, they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back. Baby, come back. But bye-bye-bye-bye. But bye-bye-bye-bye. I must admit I was a clone to be messing around. But that doesn't mean that you have to leave town. But bye-bye-bye-bye. But bye-bye-bye-bye-bye. Hey. How are you doing? I'm all right. How are you? Uh, yeah, actually, I, um, as you see, I'm very, I'm dry right now. <laughs> In what sense? Well, um, well I'm, I was going to go for a recovery run, a kind of a five-mile jog earlier. Yeah. Um, and I looked out the window, and it was, and I was going to do my shopping as well afterwards, but looked out the window, and it's raining. So today, I haven't run Ooh. because it was raining. You've changed. Yeah, I, so that is why I'm dry, which I'm very pleased about. But now I'm also in that. Are you guilty? You're feeling guilty now? Not fully, because that's the thing. I, I always think on the like something like a the, the recovery month run. Unless you're doing huge miles, you need to be really putting the miles in, and also such long miles that you need to get a bit of recovery in. If you don't do it, it's not the end of the world. It doesn't really change anything. So it's i feel like i'm naughty in the greg, same way greg would be I, doing his recovery run now greg, greg would be doing would. it that's the thing if you're not if you you you're letting greg get the advantage over you it's like having one more biscuit than you were meant to you think eh, whatever it's not going to matter in, in two days it's, actually, it doesn't even matter now doesn't why do we even bother with them <laughs> at least you're not doing something like um like drinking alcohol in its place which brings us to <laughs> what alcohol are we, straight, are we drinking straight in with the sponsor are we <laughs> straight in with the sponsor yeah we so um so listener this is the first time you listen to bad boy running podcast um we do we we do have a sponsor we're terrible uh when it comes to sponsorship and everything and we normally leave it till about you know minute 20 so i thought we'd get in there early so we don't forget to mention um that beer 52 sponsor us um but i quite i quite like the choice of beer today oh i'm quite excited by this one it's like yeah. Club Tropicana, but more Central Drinks American. Drinks are free. <laughs> Drinks are free. Whether or not they are for us. <laughs> and they could be for you, just for, just for the cost of postage. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, we're, we're, a bit, we're a bit confused. Each, each month we get sent a box, which is themed to a geography, typically. And this month we are now, we've gone to Club Mexicana, even though I think last week we were somewhere like East Coast. It was uh, New England. It was a New England IPA, and then before that, it was was it an Argentinian one? It could have been. Yeah, I mean that would that would link with South America. But it has been saying that it's part of a beer and food project. The trouble is, we haven't got any food. We never will because we're pure pure beer drinkers, eating, cheating, and all of that. But so this yeah, one, this is Club Mexicana Payal, five point two percent. And so, and confusingly, it's called Club Mexicana, and it's brewed in Germany. Oh, is it good? Confusion. I Maybe have... confusion's the theme. Yeah, it does indeed. But I do like the fact it's got lemon zest in it, which, oh, yes, in some ways makes it a bit like a shandy, which for a Monday night is exactly what I need. So I had quite a heavy weekend. Ooh, you're tucking in. That's not quite what I was expecting, actually. 
I've I don't know. Uh, I I had a problem with my beers because I the problem with having children is mm. that they, they drink them all. They, <laughs> problem with having children is I drink them all. No, the problem with having children <laughs> is that they change the dials on stuff, and so you go into the fridge and you're like, why is everything frozen? Like every, and of course they've just turned the dial up on the on the thing so it's as high as possible. And so all of, all all of my beers last week were frozen. So when it came to drink them, I'm just like drinking this like craft beer lollipop type thing. And I, I think it, it might have affected how 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 fizzy they are. I think a lemon zest um, a lemon zest slushy beer slushy <laughs> would be pretty nice though. <laughs> that that could even be better. What do you think? I like it. I thought it was going to be more more zesty because um, Claire and I we're obsessed with obsessed with the zest. Obsessed with the zest. We, we'll go to um, Oaxaca. We, we're we're name dropping a lot, though, aren't we? We love um, we love getting the beer in Oaxaca where it comes with spice and fresh lime juice in. Oh yeah, whatever that's called. So I was hoping it would be like that. It's not actually. It's just like a normal beer. Um, but yeah, I think this would probably be pretty good Mexican food. Does it taste I, Mexican or does it taste German? Mm, I mean, there's there's not a lot of hatred of, of Syrians in there. So I guess that means it's probably more Mexican. I, yeah. I, I need, we need to talk about something. Oh, in oh, relation do. to In relation to the Beer 52 box. Okay. Is it, this, it, this sounds... This sounds bad. It's like you've no, got bad I, news. I just want, I just need to know. I need to know your opinion on it because I don't think we can. We can. We can cover this over. And uh, for the sake of the sake of our impartiality, I mean, like we have we have got a sponsor, but I think certain things need to be mentioned here. Ooh, so in okay. the box, so you get you get eight beers in the box, excellent quality beers, and uh, yeah, with your, your first box, you get it for two ninety nine postage packaging and for free. Beer fifty two dot com forward slash bad boy running, but. It comes with a snack. It does. What do you think of the snack? I liked it. Corn, oh, you it... are joking. Yeah, did you, were you not a fact there were corn something, like deep fried corn? No. I thought there was quite a tasty uh, flavouring to them. Bit of a small bag. That was my only, my only complaint, I'd say. What, no. You're not a fan then? No, I'm not a fan of it at all. No. Oh, why not? I don't know. I just, I, you know, when you start eating something and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to push through this and I'll eat them. And then you're like, it's not worth the calories. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And they're not worth the calories. I'd rather have crisp or, or pretzels. But pretzels. it's the type of food that I drink when I was drunk. And just, as you say, be like, this is, yeah, it's not crisps, but this will do. I think it's just there's an attempt, isn't there, to just try and like fry or or was that what is it called the the method now of it's like air popping them or something, isn't it? To try and they're kind of like um, like sugar puffs without the sugar or puff. It's just intensely solid. It's just <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just I'm not. I'm just not a big fan of them. Well, hopefully next month it will be a different snack. Well, we've, we've had, had the two... same one for two, two, two in a row. Yeah, which is disappointing. I, I, that was the thing I was almost most excited about because I know when I open the box, I've got to wait till I drink the beer. I don't always do that, but um, for the podcast. <laughs> Whereas with a snack, I can just smash know, snack. that. Smash yeah, that exactly. Snack. We're not, we're not here. It. We're not here for promoting the snack so we can smash it and criticise it, but. <laughs> Excellent so magazine. You, Excellent magazine, by the way. 
Yeah, so if you're a fan of snacks, then get snackbox.com. But if you like beer, beer52, beer 52, and forgive them for the weird, corny snack. But um, what what have you been up to? Have you been training for your 5K now that everyone knows about the Iron Man tattoo bet? Pressure on so your feet. I, I can tell you that it is by my first week of full training. Ooh, since, this is since, good news. So my, back's holding since, up. Since my back's holding up. Yep, everything seems to be okay. I don't want to jinx it, but it seems to be going all right. I'm combining it with a little bit of um, uh, body weight work as well. Keep so it's like nice and strengthened. Nothing too hard in the gym. So I think I'm quite. I'm quite. Confident. It's doing that thing again of um, why is it that when it's summer, it's yeah. and, and the weather's nice then you just don't train as much. But in the winter, and it's cold, for some reason, it, it feels better training. It, I don't know what it is. Do you think? It's just that I... I, I don't, you, you ask, you say to someone, oh, you know, you, you, like anyone that's got a spring marathon or, or, or spring race knows that they have to train over winter. And you're just like, oh, I don't want to do it. Yet somehow it feels better in the rain. It feels better when it's a bit cold. I think the opposite. See, I, I but then remember, the remember, I haven't training for five k's here, so <laughs> it's not it's not as if I'm exposed to it for a huge amount of time. But I, I think it makes you feel more of a hero. Oh so yeah, oh yeah, 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 absolutely. You feel like Rocky Four. You're running through the snow. You're lifting up carts because chasing the pigs. horse has got chasing pigs, <laughs> catching punching Russians. Pigs. Yeah. All of that constant, <laughs> constant training. But I find that I find it too depressing post summer. Like now for me is the worst time because after Christmas, you you've got you've had a great time. You're pretty out of shape and the days are starting to get slightly longer again. You're like, right, come on, come on, got to get marathon fit. Whereas now you've had this amazing summer and you're kind of trying to keep some fitness but it's getting miserably cold. The clocks have gone back or forward or whatever it is. And, and so every time you go out, it just feels worse conditions. Yeah, but, but the thing is, I, this is that uh, I'm always already prefiguring my excuses. And like, like you said, oh, I'm going to go out on a five, five mile recovery run, like five miles. That's like, that's my, my long run. Okay. <laughs> so I know that if I go, Oh, I'm going to go out on a three mile recovery run. I'm like, if I miss that, really, what difference is that going to make? Yeah. I mean, so you, you can need go to, a... I can go to the gym for like 20 minutes and I can get get the run in. It's like, it, it's so easy. Although surely you should be spending hours and hours on power. On power? Yeah, you're going to be one of those, those power 5K runners. What's Practically it? a sprinter for the whole way around. What do you mean? I don't understand. What do you mean on power? Is that is that a, building is that... up your muscles? Just getting. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, like yeah, that's that's that sounds just like me. <laughs> that's what I thought. All these body weight exercises, <laughs> ideal. Well, a good thing about my 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 body weight is that I have a lot of weight to lift uh, by doing body weight exercises. So I'm trying, I'm trying not to not to lose it because I just want big muscles. Even a walk is like a body weight. <laughs> yeah, everything exercise. is a body weight exercise. It's just what I like to think of myself. I like to think of myself as a skinny person that's wearing a weight vest. So I'm getting the extra <laughs> the extra workout, and I'm feeling a hero because of it. Now I've I've uh, I've found out some news that I think will motivate you, not very much. 
<laughs> okay, go on. So uh, I know you're going for the shorter stuff now, yep. but did you know a 70-year-old female has just broken 3.30 in the marathon? Really? Yes. That is, uh, well, how does that make you feel? But she's been training for longer, hasn't she? That's a good point, actually. Yes, true. Exactly. So uh, nothing... you, th- you think by the time you get to 70... By the time I get to 70, out. I think I'll, I'll get good for age London Marathon. What is it for 70? About, about, about my marathon time now, I think it is. <laughs> the thing is, if you, she's, um, she's called Jeanne Rice. And if you look at her, she, she looks incredible. The, no, she's not, actually. She's, she maybe has done the drugs of a Russian. But no, she's, um, she's, she looks as if she's uh, – well, she's American, but – she looks like she, her heritage is potentially Korean, something like that. She looks unbelievable for 70. Does she? Um, yeah, incredible. But they run as well, just put out a study about getting old. Yeah. And whether you slow down and how much you slow down. Because that's um, always the thing, isn't it? That's supposed to be the thing, is that your endurance improves and your endurance can improve for a long, long time, but actually your speed, are they saying that that's a load of bollocks now? No, they, they're saying, so I don't, I don't know if it applies strictly to everyone across the board at the same rate but they're saying that each year from the age of 40 which to me is seems a bit too close given that i'm already past it um you lose one percent of speed so they looked at 5k 10k half marathon and marathon results but one percent of speed for uh, at what point what happens if you haven't hit your peak what happens if you've so what happens if you've done no no running or training and so your marathon time's like five hours and then when you hit 40 you then start training solidly 100 mile weeks well they've looked at they've looked at people who are runners already and they've looked at their times over the age ranges so someone who comes along who hasn't been training and suddenly trains he's obviously going to get quicker well there we go they've not but they've not included him. So you, are you putting yourself as that? I'm putting myself as that. This is perfect. Is that why you've never trained? You're waiting I'm just going to wait. Wait till I get to 40 and then I'm going to start smashing it and, and, and prove Runner's World wrong. I'm not interested in the Runner's World study. I want to hear the real buzz study. What do real buzz say about this? Well, real buzz say that um, at the age of 70, you can lose weight by brushing your dentures. <laughs> There are Very seven, useful. seven ways you can lose weight by brushing your dentures before a marathon. Indeed, get that broccoli out of there. So, <laughs> wasn't uh, there wasn't there another real buzz one recently? I'm sure I'm sure they're coming thick and fast with absolute rubbish. Yeah, I, I mean, I've actually now unsubscribed from Real Buzz because I was only reading it for the sake of slagging them off on the podcast, and um, they've. They've now they've got this annoying mix where they've suddenly brought on someone who's a like a, a very high standard triathlete who's now writing for them. They've got um, quite good experts who are writing some articles, and then every one in five, it's utter garbage. And then they've also got the usual worrying about your weight, how to get a flat stomach, all this stuff. And I just thought. I do want to find good material for the podcast, but I'm wasting my life here reading their, <laughs> reading their, their absolute garbage. So, um, it's any interesting actually that you mention a triathlete and talking garbage, 
because um, in in our office there is uh, one of the uh, one of the one of the coaches there. He is taking on a new challenge, and his new challenge is doing an Ironman. And he goes, "Oh, Jody, I wanted to speak to you about the running aspect of it because um, I just want your I just want your advice on on a few things." Yeah. Um. So he's been training, he's been doing swimming, and he's been doing cycling stuff. And then he he said to me, "Yeah, when it comes to the marathon aspect." Um, uh, I've been given some advice by um, by the people teach you know who, who've told me about you know uh, triathlons and their triathletes and stuff, and they told him uh, these triathletes that um, he could get away with doing the marathon training for the marathon simply by doing um, just shorter runs during the week, um, and I'm like, well, have you ever run a marathon before? He's like, no, the, the, the furthest I've ever run is like ten miles. I'm like. And so they, they're telling you that you don't need to run, like do a long run at the weekend because um, they're saying do the cycling instead. Um, so you don't need to do a long run at the weekend. And I'm like, right, um, there's a bit of an issue there because the one, one thing they were saying is that you'll build the endurance through the cycling. And I'm like, well, yeah. but the problem is that you've never run a marathon before. You have absolutely no conditioning whatsoever. So... They're they're saying that from the point of view of people who who oh, have experience. Yeah, they've got the muscle. Yeah, they've forgot they've forgotten that they've they've got experience here, and so they, that's how they might train now, having already run a marathon. But I say that you know, running a marathon for the first time, regardless of whether it's a uh, an Ironman or not, you still need to you know go through the same conditioning as you would if you're running a, a, a normal marathon. So you still need to make sure what is it um, at least five of your long runs are. You know, around the twenty mile mark, if not if not over, in order to prepare for it. But he's like going, "Well, they've not said anything like that." And I'm like, "Well, just don't listen to anything they say. They don't know anything." I'm like, "I bet you that their their main thing is cycling." And he's like, "Oh, actually, now you say that." <sighs> yeah, and, and isn't that insane? I'm... Isn't that insane though? Yeah, um, unless it's the maybe they're reading the same book that Bruno does about the heart rate and never running more than uh, a slow jog for you know, 10, 12 miles. Um, what's the, the Maffetone? A Maffetone method. Maffetone method, yeah. But that, things, I have heard similar things about Ironman, but yeah, you're right. It, it would be completely different if it's your first ever one. You still, I mean, you still need never. to condition, you still need to condition your leg. You still need to do it. There's no getting yeah. around that. It doesn't matter whether you have the endurance or not, or whether you have the fitness. It's it's purely conditioning, and I might you might decide, okay, well, I'm just going to try and smash it on the day. But even even training in the transition, you know, it's going to it's going to be completely mm. different for, for a marathon yeah. as well at the end of that bike ride. It's just it just seems insane or absolute rubbish that that they're um, they're, they're telling him. I mean, how much do you like this guy? I do quite like him. I do quite like him. I, I don't, I'm not, I don't, I don't, <laughs> so I don't, want, can't just say, you can't just go, yeah, but I mean, you probably don't even need that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I say, well, but don't bother. Don't bother. Yeah. Just, just <laughs> maybe probably for a 5k during the week or something as quickly as you can. It'll be, it'll be absolutely fine. No, I just think, it's I just, mean, if anything, you would, you've got to have balls of steel, I think, to get on, to start a marathon having not done more than 10, 12 miles. <laughs> Ever knowing that you've already done at least well, even the top guys at least six hours of endurance sport already, to then think right, I know I'm going to try running 14 miles longer than I've ever run <laughs> in one go. 
in a in an A race in an A race. Um, did you see how, yeah. much, how much it cost to enter? We, we, were, we were saying, oh yeah, how much did it cost to an uh, man? We're like two hundred quid, something like that. It's like five hundred quid. Really? Yeah. Wow. I I mean I that does seem not inclu- a yeah. little bit insane, especially because people people take out their bikes as well, and that can't be cheap. And you've got to buy a bike and a wetsuit, and, and so I wonder, wonder what the cost of if today we decided to sign up for an Ironman, all kit, all transport, and ticket, um, and given that you're going to need a hotel as well, how much is that going to cost you? It's got to be what fifteen hundred pounds? No, for a bike. I don't know how much bikes are. I I think you can easily spend more than you'd spend doing MDS. From what yeah. people have been saying. Yeah, yeah, you probably can. And the the difference is you don't speak to anyone throughout the whole experience. <laughs> it's terrible <laughs> but it's terrible for selfies and social media purposes. Yeah, you come back and at the end of the MDS you've had a tent, you've you've met loads of people you've chat to along the way do people chat to each other in the swim you seem to be kicking me in the face what? <laughs> excuse me sir excuse me fine i think you're fine <laughs> it is very unfriendly isn't it it's not it's not yeah. like your typical ultra or, or multi-day event because someone was saying in the facebook group about a, a marathon costing 65 pounds oh yeah and yeah. there was quite a lot of outrage towards that which I don't think that's that expensive for an event. It, it, de- it depends. It depends. I mean, if it's like a... I, I do find it crazy that Brighton's 65. And I know that, you know, there's a lot of street closures and stuff like that. But when you compare... Oh, I don't know. I, don't, I keep comparing stuff to London. But London is different. Yeah, but there's... Brighton's got about 10,000 more needles on the street that they've got to try and clean up one by one. So, that's expensive. That's partly true. Gold wipes clean. Partly true, partly true. Gold wipes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why that's so funny. It's so shit. I I find that £65, because of... I think partly because of obstacle racing, but partly because just the type of events that that I tend to do where it could be a secret cinema or I always, I don't really compare marathon to marathon. I compare marathons to other things I might do at the weekend. So how much is secret cinema? I think that's probably about 65. I took the children, a family of four, um, uh, me, Libby... Frida, who's seven, and Hugo, who's three, we went to see the Grinch at the cinema at the weekend, and it cost 36 quid, which is insane <laughs> to see, watch a 90-minute well, film. Well, yeah, but that was, that was the uh, interactive experience of the Grinch. He, uh, he literally stole all that money from you <laughs> so that you'd be miserable yeah, exactly. Christmas. <laughs> that is brilliant branding by the film. And then I bought, you know, what's it called, like two boxes of popcorn, which doubled the price. What about the kids? Did you get them anything? No, no, I couldn't afford that. They were lucky, lucky to be in there <laughs> in the first place. Of course, they were hugely appreciative and grateful at the end of it, as you'd expect to be. Oh, which is interesting, because uh, people were mentioning in the group about um, vegan runners. 
there was a big vegan yeah. runners meet in uh, Hove on uh, on Saturday. They met uh, in the Hove Park for uh, there must have been like three hundred and fifty, four hundred stuff like that. And so they were swarming all over Brighton. So I took I took Hugo into Brighton uh, to. Uh, uh, to go and have a pizza and stuff, and we went to um, went to like the, this um, this vegan pizza restaurant stuff like that, and everyone was wearing like vegan runner stuff, and it was <laughs> it was brilliant, it was hilarious because they all everyone was taking the piss in the group. And was there? Uh, would you say the locals were the really positive reaction was there? Because vegans do attract a lot of hatred, I find more than they they deserve. But yeah, but not in um, a, not. Did a, you sense any of that? Not in a vegan restaurant, no. They're like That's heroes. In there. They're like heroes. It's like they they come in and they're like they're like welcome back, welcome back, sir. <laughs> you are you are heroes <laughs> to us. When I mean, they're just carrot tops littering the streets and um, husks of <laughs> corn on the cob everywhere. Seed, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, the crazy crazy gang. They uh, sweeping through the streets of Brighton. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was funny just seeing so many of them because it, the the thing is normally you see um, like they've got their like vegan runners top on stuff like that, but they have other merch and the other merch has much more political like content on it and stuff, um, which is which is Ooh. which is really interesting um, because you don't normally see that. That's, that's links when, to that's, veganism as well, or uh, yeah. Yeah, as opposed to just being fuck the queen or or something like that. That would yeah. <laughs> oh oh, oh they're anarchists the as well. Yeah. <laughs> if we turn out, if we well, just to, I, I just to turn out if they were like you could start get like you, you you get like vegan runners who support Brexit and you'd be like oh god like that's blowing my mind I don't I don't I don't really understand <laughs> that, that like, you get these weird juxtapositions that you don't expect. Yeah, and the, you're right. There's no reason why someone who's vegan should be necessarily liberal but you do tend to roll up a lot of issues all in the one personality type that you assign to being a vegan no yeah actually livy was talking about her um uh her pr exec at work and said um he came up to me and said, um, I've got this idea about what Jodie looks like um, and it doesn't accord with what, what you look like. I don't think that you, you would really be a couple. So um, <laughs> can you split can, up? Can you, can you, can you, have you got a picture of him or something? So I could just, because in my mind, she's like, what do you expect he looks like? She goes, he goes, I expect him to be wearing like a, a, a red velvet waistcoat and purple <laughs> glasses. <laughs> the thing you like a, they think you're a oh, teenager Elton John. They think in I'm the Elton 90s John. He's trying, yeah, he's trying to dress like John Lennon. <laughs> and then she goes, oh, oh, it's not like that at all. So ne- next time I go into her work, I've got to wear that. Oh, my, that would be incredible. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Or just get, 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 get a photo of yourself like that and slip it into her wallet. <laughs> But he goes, he was like going, oh yeah, I thought we'd wear like a, a, a red velvet waistcoat and cheesecloth trousers. I'm like, what? Who would wear cheesecloth <laughs> with velvet? I mean, that's just basic fashion. I mean, what? Well, I, listeners, if you've got any suggestions of how you visualise this, because you may not have seen our beautiful, beautiful faces before. What should, what should, I, wear? What should I wear? That's the thing. Yeah, when at the... Does she have a Christmas party coming up? 
Uh, I've got your Christmas party coming up, and we've got the BBR. Does Christmas she have party. an office? Oh, does she have an, an office? office Christmas? Christmas party? Oh, I don't know. Actually, she might do. I, I don't think we're invited to it. Though. I don't think partners are invited to it. But you could go and pick her up at the end. <laughs> Just turn up with um, you'd be on a donkey or something. On <laughs> <laughs> I'll be riding an ostrich in. <laughs> oh no! Actually, vegans probably wouldn't ride animals, would they? <laughs> no, 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 no. It, but they'd be complicit in it. It would be. It would be a mutual agreement. <laughs> I wouldn't be exploiting him, and then you know, <laughs> a donkey that would never say nay. He'd always, he'd always be agreeing. <laughs> but have you seen? There's, uh, there's been some excellent do badder uh, behaviour from the the couch to five k. Oh, that video. So if you've not seen this, uh, and you're not in the uh, the Facebook group, go into the um, the BBR Facebook group and look for the video. I think it's um, uh, Lisa Shakespeare's uh, video of. Of them doing so, Dougal um, kept talking about doing a, a couch to 5k, and um, we didn't really pay any attention to really what that meant until <laughs> until he then explained he was going to take a couch to a 5k race, and and it is pretty glorious. Yeah, they didn't just take it; they ran with it, and I think their time because we didn't see the whole route, but as they ran past, I think it could be pushing your PB time. <laughs> Getting beaten by someone with a push chair, but getting beaten by someone with a couch. <laughs> <laughs> they were flying on it. What would be great is if they had one of your children lying on the couch <laughs> so they actually beat your time. <laughs> Imagine if my, if my time was beaten by an inanimate object. That really would be pretty embarrassing. <laughs> But we've um, we've also had a t- two bits of uh, great news that have recently tied in with uh, with issues we've talked about before. One of them is to do with the Hash House Harriers. And did you see um, in I think it was Norfolk, they uh, the police were called in because of them flowering a, a local village and them thinking it could be a new Russian poisoning scandal. And if it's, um, I'm trying to find the article. I'll put it into the, the group. They, but... That is, that does seem to come up quite a lot, though, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, why did they thought it was was it Novichek? Is that the name of? Um... Yeah. Yeah. And for me, I I know that they're quite brazen in in their uh, attempts now. But can you imagine people dressed as runners walking around flowering willy nilly? I mean, I I'm pretty sure it doesn't come in handfuls. <laughs> any of the poison they use and they, they there's not so much of it they've got huge bags that they're just billowing out around the town but the good thing is about not the good thing but because all of this happened in in salisbury which you'd never expect it means that any town now you think well they did it in salisbury maybe they would do it in nottingham or no, I mean Nottingham, Basingstoke, 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 or yeah, exactly, or Witherall, or and so, um, so that was the first bit of news. Which brilliant article because the hashes who are interviewed, they're trying to, they're they're, they're clearly thinking this is ridiculous, and in their in their interviews are giving a little bit of messaging of, well, of course it's not bloody this you bloody idiots but at the same point are trying to pretend as if they're really concerned about what they've done and you know they don't want to cause a problem and they're worried that 
the police will stop them and so like every other sentence almost changes the tone and contradicts the last one said and it's basically like you fucking idiots we're sorry you fucking idiots <laughs> and so it's really really nicely well written piece but um we've also had some great articles about further cheating oh uh, are you talking about the whole marathon one yeah dean oh. dean uh, dean hartman posted in the goo i mean you you found it first so uh you, you know it better tell us about it so this is i i i think i understand this it's very difficult to do because i don't think it's a particularly well-written article <laughs> it's really badly written. So, so basically this guy has been banned for not running whole marathon and this doesn't mean you know uh, a, a traditional uh do badder let's walk it let's walk it in with um, with sports drink um, basically, the the runner hasn't actually doesn't seem to have actually run the race at all, um, and they um, it's just basically the only the only thing they have to show that he's run the race is the fact that his timing chip has crossed mats at the finish line. But like other participants have said, they've never seen this person run the race. They've never had any photos of this person running the race. So obviously, someone's carrying this or, or something else it's like almost like this this invisible person what the best part about this is that <laughs> it's been going on for four years <laughs> it's, that, yeah. it's not he's not run the race for four years it's taken this long <laughs> is he, this is the perfect crime do you want to do it next year sure why not why not it's only six five quid <laughs> he's done it every year since you started and it's just it, it, i don't know why one why would you do that why would you why would you run a race and not really run it but why would you do it four years in a row and so but, but then it gets better because they so they've banned him from running the race which you think is a weird thing to do because he's never run it anyway <laughs> and then for a further five years and then in the same um in the same uh, article they found um, there was a there was a two person team doing it as a relay, and they banned one of the members of that team because they wore headphones. And I was thinking, God, like one person has really, really, really cheated and has been banned, <laughs> and one person has just worn headphones and has been banned. And you think that's a little bit unfair? Oh, the- completely. You'd be especially if you're the second runner, and they've they've brought the baton in maybe they should say the baton was their headphones that could be their possibly there's the thing is what what i also like about this feature is it it throws in a load of other stuff as well um because hull marathon um had its distance certificate revoked um so it it might not have even been the right distance um uh, (laughs) a few a few years ago so it's like there's there's so many weird things going on with whole marathon it's like the like in the it's like the bermuda triangle of marathons people running it and not running it it kind of reminds me it might be something from fringe you know like there was an alternative universe where there is someone (laughs) running it but they're not in this dimension but i think this is a classic this is what's happening now so this is a bbc article and if you're not a british uh, listener basically the bbc when they write something you expect to be factually correct you expect to be well researched well written but we're in this weird dynamic now where i think there's almost a transition where clickbait is taking over and so suddenly news um, media houses like the bbc and all your mainstream newspapers are now caught where they're trying to come up with these little headlines or report on issues that they think will actually be read as opposed to important 
um, clickbait, essentially. But then they're suddenly stuck with, we've got to try and make this into a proper article. And so <laughs> yeah. this is a classic example of that, where this is, this is a one-paragraph story. And then they're suddenly trying to research, right, how can we make this more than one paragraph? And they're like, oh, another person was banned for this and it turns out this thing and so it's just classic terrible journalism because that they can't admit look we're now just going after the clickbait yeah the, the daily mail the daily mail are experts at this daily mail know exactly mm. how to do that turn something like innocuous into something bad and then they know how to pull you know build a massive story around it it's this is you know that's that's their uh, area of expertise bbc just haven't got a clue. They're like, um, okay, right, we've 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 got them where with the headline. What what do we do next? Let's just basically anyone that's ever mentioned Hull, let let's put them in the feature. Let's put them in there as well. But the uh, there's actually a really good uh, podcast I listened to. Um, unlike us, uh, it was um, one of This American Life's or no Reply All, and they were talking about these. Um, when you look at the bottom of a lot of good websites so for example runners world articles pretty good that normally written well normally in, informed but even they at the bottom will have links to other runners world articles they'll have some adverts and then they have one of those boxes which look like articles but they're not articles they're that you know they're clearly oh, the paid, the paid like the tabula and outbrain ones yeah yeah abs- yeah the sponsored yeah the sponsored like which are paid for they're the, they're the worst exactly they're and they um they actually went to an organization that right they went to the organization that writes these and it was i can't remember the, the exact story but there was an american guy who about six years ago had written this really romantic blog about a, an unbelievable circumstantial situation that happened with him and his ex-girlfriend and made for inc- an incredible clickbait story because it was true. The trouble is, he's now five years on, and all of these organisations that are desperate trying to find any kind of story that gives you the twist that you can promise and then actually write about, suddenly his story is appearing everywhere on the internet. And this is his now ex-girlfriend who utterly broke his heart. Um <sighs> And and I, no, actually, I think it was worse than that. I think she may. I'm sorry. I should have. I should have researched this before, but it, it just suddenly. Don't linked. start. Let's not start researching stuff. Come on. Let's not start. We'll ruin. We'll ruin the whole ethos of the podcast if we do that. But I think she'd nearly died, or she had died, or something really, really bad had happened, and he'd he'd written this blog about it, and now five years later, suddenly it's appearing on new york times on runner's world on all these really um reputable websites because they're paying for the advertising space and so now this story won't stop haunting him because it's not a happy story for him anymore um and it's just horrific and so yeah the uh i I don't know if i had a point with this other than i found that quite interesting but yeah, because the, those those things that those are advertorial. They're advertorials. Right? There's always a um, something, some salesy thing behind it. They're, they're you know, but they 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 pose as um, you know uh, people who read this, read that type stories. Yeah, exactly, and they're one in one in three of them will suddenly be someone couldn't believe that their PPI suddenly earned them. Heywood's Heywood's Heath woman makes ten thousand pounds in three days. 
<laughs> yes, yeah. you won't believe what billionaires are trying to hide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in your mail check. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I but, write, um, I've written some of those. <laughs> have you really? Yeah. And so you you wrote the ones with the adverts rather than the stories. Well, no, but this, that's what they are. The stories are the stories are the ads. They're advertorials. So some of them are. Some of them aren't. They mix in some really surprising well, well, stories. Well, they do other ones. So they'll have those. They're the one. They're the ones that they mix in are ones where they are ad led because they do that thing of like, oh, see what happened when someone did this, and then you'll go onto a site and then it'll go click what happens next, and you end up clicking through this damn website on this damn web page about three or four times, but it's all the advertising that's coming up and everything and all these other fake buttons on it that you're just supposed to it they're just awful yeah and but then if they allow for run as well to continue or you know the new york times to not put up a paywall it's tricky there seem to be the well, they looked at the finances of it and they seem to be so vital to the the um the liquidity of a huge number of, uh, of of websites that would go under without it. So, yeah, we need people to be clicking on those even more often. You need to find out why the girl was shocked and everyone knew, but the, the, she couldn't tell. I do, the, I do like the ones where they say, um, where it's like diseases or, or really bad injuries and there's like a picture and you're like, oh, what is that? And, it's, <laughs> you know, you, just, you look at the, just the image on it and you're like, oh... All the ones where they go, oh, you won't believe, you know, she was a big star in the 80s. You won't believe what she looks like now. And you click on it, you go, well, what does she look like now? And you're like, oh, she kind of looks the same as she did in the 80s. I've, I've been completely tricked here. <laughs> but apparently, psychologically, because um, quite often they'll say, you won't believe number 17. But um, they've said that actually it's the clicking and the reveal that gives you the rush and the endorphins, not the actual finding out of the truth. So even if you find out and a let down it still gives you the scratch that you're desiring from that that tantalization well, that's classic that is classic curiosity um uh enhanced by specificity that gets people it's it just it's, it's a classic classic headline ruse yeah and if you carry on listening to this podcast <laughs> you won't believe what happens at minute 37 <laughs> oh boy it's a real well, i think we're about we're probably about oh no we are we're, we're 42 minutes in <laughs> oh no we're back referencing you won't believe what happens in episode 150 <laughs> absolutely well at which point we probably should move on to our fantastic guest tonight then given that we have been chatting for quite a long time um and earlier we're talking about different ways to to race a marathon whether you train for it or not lisa's shows actually Lisa's been in the press quite a bit. She's done a few books. She's been talking to um, various magazines herself because she is approaching marathons in a completely different way to how most other people do. In fact, she's got herself a bit of a reputation as trying to come last in sorry, trying to come last in as many marathons as she can. Mm-hmm. 
So, uh, do badders, we we like to mix it up in who we talk to, and Lisa is someone you may have read a, one of her books, two of her books, possibly, um, and quite soon, maybe even three of her books. But we're getting on the show because she's very much a do badder in her mentality. She prides herself on uh, coming last in many, many marathons, and uh, has hit the hundred marathon club. And so we just thought we bring her on to talk to her about what her view is on you know getting into running uh, she's an expert in, in her first book was about running made easy so we thought we'd get her on and see what her take is on uh, running marathons and doing it in a way that's not too dull so welcome on the show lisa thanks Hello. very much david and jody hello how you doing <laughs> great to be here no very well thank you very very well well, um, i mean where do you want to start do you want to get to the beginning do you want to tell us your uh, your next book you're working on do you want to give us your your view on coming last or that first time you came last and and how it changed everything or um yeah well I think perhaps I won't start with my latest book because it's a travel book uh, it's a bit of a departure from my other books um so maybe I should start talking about um, coming last as that's why I've been invited um I think um you know a lot of people when they take up running their greatest mm. fear is coming last I know people who always go yeah. yeah as long as I don't come last then everything will be fine or, you know, that's what I'm aiming for, just not to come last. And I think I was one of those people as well because I've always been an incredibly slow runner. And um, when I was a child, I remember um, our teachers taking us out at break and we had to run to the wall by the swimming pool and then come back. And we're there, only then were we allowed to eat our fish paste sandwiches. And I remember sort of running out and touching the wall and turning back and then just looking and seeing all the children clustered around the teacher already, you know, busy munching away. And I still had the whole field um, to come back. So that's how so I was, you know, as a child. And I got the worst possible score for gross motor coordination when I was six. And I remember my parents like pouring over my school reports where everything else was, you know, the best. And then I got the worst for gross motor coordination. And they were going, but what is gross motor coordination? <laughs> <I was> wondering. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I don't even know to this day, to be honest, but I obviously was really bad at it. So I was a very, I was labeled as an unathletic child. Um, and whereas my sister was very sporty, my parents, you know, were both runners. My brother, you know, today he's a skateboarder and a windsurfer um, and a paddleboard instructor. And I was the kind of one in the family who was really unathletic. Um, and so, when I took up running, um, this, this fear of coming last was, was loomed large, and it wasn't an unrealistic fear, which it is for most people. I mean, you know, it really, it's very, very difficult to come last. Mm. And I think I actually ran for 14 years before I came last, and that was in the South Downs Marathon. And it's just, I've never done a marathon again. I've, I've done many difficult marathons more than once, like Beachy Head. But this one was just chronically hard. It was just uphill, down dale, up steps. And we had a lovely South African um, back marshal who kind of wobbled on his bike next to me and my friend and kind of kept us company. And we kept saying, are you, gonna, are you here to kick us off the course? And he said, no, I'm here to clear up the course and I'm going to just be polite and stay, you know, one wobble behind you um, and get you to the end. And he did. And when we got to the end, all the marshals had gathered together at the end and there was this massive cheer. And my husband was standing going, my God, what took you so long? And he thought I'd been sort of, you know, trampled by cows or eaten by sheep or something. And um, I got such a huge um, cheer. And I suddenly just that fear just evaporated. I got the biggest goodie bag because obviously I got all the leftovers and all the goodie bags. And I suddenly just thought, heck, this coming last thing is fantastic. And um, since then, actually, I'm really lucky that I – 
enjoyed coming last so much because when I decided to join the 100 Marathon Club, I ended up coming last a lot. So out of the 110 marathons and ultras I've done so far, I've actually come last 25 times. <laughs> so it actually became a bit of a thing for me. And sometimes if I was in danger of coming second last, I would ask the person, please, can you just uh, you know, go ahead of me one step and let me come last? <laughs> which works sometimes, but sometimes it doesn't because you don't know what time they started. So unfortunately, I've been deprived of my last trophy a couple of times. And then one time it was really funny was um, I did the um, Pilgrim Way Marathon and um, sorry, the Farnham and Pilgrim Marathon. And um, I thought I came last. I mean, I went, I got lost. And um, a wonderful marshal, you know, said, I'm not going to allow you to be kicked off the course. It's your birthday. For goodness sake, we're going to get you a medal today. Um, so I finished and I claimed that as one of my last, you know, victories, if you like. And I was um, on social media once and a woman called Tire Girl, who drags a tire behind her, suddenly <laughs> popped up on Twitter and said, you did not come last 20, 25 times. You've come last 24 times. And I can prove it. Is she still on the course? <laughs> no, no, I know. She should be. But she got a head start. And so although she finished ahead of me, she, she got a two-hour head start or something. And so although she finished in time ahead of me, her actual time was longer. And then I wrote back and said, whoever thought that coming last could be quite so dot, dot, dot competitive. So um, it was really true. And since then, I've come last again. So I have I have genuinely come last 25 times. So, um, you know, Ty Girl can now keep quiet. But she's a wonderful woman. I really admire her. She wants to do 100 marathons um, all in aid of, you know, eco friendly um, awareness and you know reusing your water bottle and things like that but she's an absolutely incredible woman but um, obviously got a competitive streak there <laughs> I love the fact that there is a difficulty of coming last that there's, oh, there's yeah, that, I mean that's just incredible <laughs> it's an entirely if you and, and how that must completely change the way that you view a race if mm. in, your intention is to come last just the how much I was going to say because I always think when you when we were talking about this beforehand um, that coming last you know makes it relaxing, but this thought in your mind that you're not going to come last all of a sudden it's it's like the equivalent of the first second. You think there's only real competitiveness competitiveness uh, at one end of the race, yeah. but actually there is at the other end of the race. There and, is, and that's that's incredible to think. It is, it is very funny. In fact, um, when I wanted to join the 100 Marathon Club, they have all different kinds of competitive elements within the club, like who's done the most, run the most counties in, you know, the UK or run the most um, uh, states in America, etc. And um, they said, you know, the shortest time it's taken someone to go from one marathon to 100. And I said, well, you know, they should say who has the slowest time overall, like adding all your marathons together <laughs> and dividing by 100. And you know what the chairman at the time said to me? He said, no, Lisa, I'm not going to institute that new award because I know you. You just sit in the middle of a marathon course. <laughs> <laughs> all the rest of the marathons you're going to do to get to your 100 really super slow. Um, so, yeah, there is a, there is a competitive element, um, definitely. And it really is – I really do feel a surge, that same surge that I would probably get, which I've never experienced if I'd won, but a feeling of, yes, you know, if I've got another little kind of lost, because I've got a list um, of all the marathons I've done, and I, I, I write lost next to the ones I did come last in, and it just feels really good to come home and type in the word lost. <laughs> because what I love people... about it is I'm doing it. You know, I'm actually, you know – 
it, it's so hard to be out there. And my, my slowest time now, I, I, I actually had a new last PB this year, 11 hours 40, to finish a marathon, the Women Can Marathon, because we were running with a blind runner and I was the back marker. And one of our runners in our group, um, you know, couldn't couldn't continue so we had to wait for the ambulance to come and fetch her and then we continued and it was too rocky and gnarly for the blind runner to um you know to run so we had to she had to walk um yeah. and so that's a new you know new pw for me this year so you know there's always some little challenge that you can fetch yourself um in running and it doesn't always have to be about being fast and another people around you who are you know second to last third to last are they trying not to be last would you say i mean for them do, do, at the at that stage at the back of the pack is there this sense of like i guess jo- jollity towards hey isn't this fun we could come last or are they paranoid that they're actually going to be last and not wanting to be <laughs> do you know i think we're talking so much that they don't have time to think about that i've never had someone say I insist on being lost. No, I'm going to mm. take that title away from you deliberately, except once. And that was in the Turin Marathon. And um, they have a, st- a strict policy. It's an official policy that um, they make as much fuss of the last runner as they do of the first one. And people, you know, it's just the official race policy. So I was with the um, back marker, who's still my friend now. I mean, you know, she came to my 100th marathon, flew all the way from Italy to attend it. Um, and she's said to i said to her okay now this is my turn to be lost so please go ahead of me and she said no my job is to be the last the back marker and i will be failing in my duty if i'm not lost so she actually <laughs> pushed me ahead of her and then unfortunately even a, i could have said okay well uh, you know i didn't come last last but it was an official who came last but then there was another man who was behind us and you know he was just 10 seconds slower so um he came last um, but no, I mean, there's so much, you know, fun at the back of the pack. And I think people don't realize that. Uh, apparently there's fun at the front as well. I've now heard from several people, you know, really good runners. Um, but there's just so much laughter and encouragement. And then people have so much time to tell their life stories. So that's why, you know, you really do make good friends at the back of the pack. Because, you know, when you're spending 6 to 11 hours, 40 with people, um, you do get to know them pretty well. And have you had to cut down on your training then just to try and ensure that you're in peak shape to be back on the back? <laughs> no, the funny thing is, I don't, I don't, I never set out to come last. I mean, I don't like, go, like, what is my mission today? Come last. And that was actually a funny thing because um, I once pitched a story to a magazine and it was the joy of coming last, just explaining how there's nothing to fear and it's really quite a lot of fun. And I got a lot of questions from the editors there on technique for coming, for really slowing down. <laughs> How do you run slowly? And I was thinking, you just move your legs more slowly. That's it. There's no special thing that I do. You know, I don't practice running on backwards or on my hands in order to slow down. It was so funny. And I had to humor them and kind of give technique tips for running slowly, which was just <laughs> absolutely hilarious because i don't think they really got the point of what i was trying to say which was just do not be scared of it and you know i think it puts so many people off running entirely with this great fear of, of coming last um and people you know they, do, they just have to come out once and see the camaraderie at the back of the pack and see how 
everyone there wants everyone else to succeed. I mean, when you leave someone at the side of the road, as we had to do in the Women Can Marathon, I mean, there were tears. Um, the other runners in our group, they refused to leave that woman until the ambulance, they'd seen her safely into the ambulance. You know, there's that kind of level of friendship and solidarity. Um, and we stood in the blazing sun for half an hour waiting for that ambulance. Um, and that's why, you know, it was it was absolutely, I mean, I was in bits by the time we, we finished that. I mean, I don't know how... Uh, everyone else felt, but my feet were just killing me because, you know, it's just, I mean, no one in everyday life stands up for 11 hours 40, let alone moving forwards, you know, mm. for 42.2 um, kilometers. So um, there is such a good spirit at the back. And I think that's what people, you know, the minute they find out about that, I think then they come back for more. So do you, mm. is, there, is there a lot of times when you, meet a lot of like the same old faces like the you know the back of the pack faces <laughs> you know it's almost it's almost like when you're commuting to london uh, and you'll you'll get on the same carriage don't you and you'll you know you, you recognize each other <laughs> <laughs> but well, yeah do you see, the do you... circuit you <clears throat> know um the circuit is is the people who do marathons a lot um and you know they do a marathon every single weekend now, i'm off the circuit at the moment because I, I sort of joked that once i did my hundred i wanted to stay married um because really being away from my husband you know one year i did 25 marathons in one year and so that meant i was away every second weekend running a marathon somewhere and that's not really good for a relationship um but the circuit is very friendly and the funny thing is um a lot of the races i do have switchbacks or they have um laps and so I end up sometimes running with people who formerly won the race, but they might be aiming, you know, in a, say a 12-hour challenge, they may be aiming to do, I don't know how much one can do, I'm not that interested in the numbers, but say they aim to do 100 kilometers and I'm just aiming to do a marathon. So you won't believe I have, you know, run with really good runners who've, who've broken world records and things like that. But for the times that they're with me, they may be needing to take a break or, you know, they're running throughout the night, whereas I won't be doing that, etc. So um, you don't only run with slow people. I mean, that's one of the privileges. I've run with someone who was, was you know, she spent a whole lap on a four-lap course with me once, um, training, and she was training for a 250-mile run, you know, and I was just like, I can't, I had to pinch myself going, I can't believe I'm actually standing, like, you know, not standing next to you, actually running next to you or walking next to you. And um, so, no, I'm, I'm not only limited to to slow people, but obviously, I mean, the people, you know, in a point to point marathon, I never I never see their dust. You know, all I see is their dust. Um, and then there are, yeah, there are the people who are my pace, more or less. I mean, there's not anyone who's quite as slow as me, but um, that I do encounter, you know, on quite a regular basis. It's always lovely. You always get a hug. I mean, wherever I go, I'll get a hug from someone or a kiss or a high five you know, somewhere along the way. And would you, because obviously you've, you've mentioned the you know, 11 hours because of people being injured. Um, but because I'm, I'm still trying to get my head around what a, a typical end of marathon time would be, because um, you've obviously done a hundred marathons. You can be very fit. You can be very experienced. Are you, do you turn up to these ones and go flat out or are you very much just kind of half training, just enjoying it or like how, how are you approaching each one? Um, well, it depends. It depended in that hundred, like what my goal was. Like initially, it was obviously just to be alive by the end of the the race. Mm. Um, and then um, when I decided to do the Comrades Ultramarathon, oops, sorry, the Comrades <laughs> Ultramarathon, um, they had at that time, I believe it's now even um, faster, but they had a five hour qualific mm. qualification time, and it was just an absolute dream of mine to run Comrades because I'm South African and I'd watched it on TV growing up. And it was just one of those dreams, 
you know, I think it must be like some people want to be an astronaut. Um, it was it was absolutely exciting, exhilarating, but impossible. Mm. And then when I started running marathons, actually just thinking, do you know what? If I put my mind to this, I've just got the sneaky suspicion I might just be able to do it. And I did mention this when I started training for comrades to someone, and um, he just snorted. Like he, uh, he said, what are you training for? And I said, comrades, and just went like that. And it was actually just, um, you know, the reaction, which I could totally understand because I am the slowest runner I've ever I've ever met. Um, but when you put your mind to something and you really want it as badly as I did, and I did in honor of my late mother who was killed um, training for a marathon, you know, she was hit by a car. Um, and that was, you know, huge, huge, huge motivation for me. Um, and I just said, I'm going to do this. And I hate running fast. It's just, I hate it because you can't talk. Mm. Um, and I just started, you know, like doing speed training, doing loads of strength training, um, training very, very regularly. I'm going for very long runs at the weekend. And, um, you know, I took something like, um, well, almost an, more than an hour off my average marathon time at that time. My average marathon time was about 5.45 and I, I did the civil marathon in 4.38. Um, and so it just shows you if you really want to do something, you can. But that kind of fast running, I mean, mm. even though I'm capable of it, um, I don't enjoy it. I mean, I remember running civil in a bubble and I started chatting to two guys next to me and my sister was pacing me around and she said, Lisa, you're not allowed to do that. And I just thought, she said, I know where you're going with this. You're going to start chatting and then the, the whole race is gone. And so she made me do monkey mats, as she called it, because I... Um, I monkey mats, Monkey mats, yes. Okay. Um, which, what happened was, um, we were in the stadium before we started and I'm not very good with technology and I somehow managed to mess up my Garmin and not catch the satellite signal, which I only found out like after two or three kilometers. So then I knew that the time on my wrist Nothing was making sense anymore. Mm. So I just had to recalibrate everything mentally and then start doing this weird maths of adding 7.9 minutes per K to each other or something like that. And I don't know, Tuesday, I don't actually know how I managed to work it out. Um, and, and my sister just kept saying, you're doing monkey maths. You got it all wrong. You got it all wrong. And I go, okay, okay, just remember this one number. Remember 20, remember 20. And then five minutes later, I'd say, what number did I ask you to remember? And she'd go, I don't know. And it was just the most nightmarish thing. But we didn't talk. It was just this math stuff. We did maths for four hours and 38. Um, so very, very challenging. And I have run, you know, even, sorry, that was 439. And then I ran London yeah. in 38. But that kind of running in a tunnel, like to my mind, I might as well be on a treadmill. It's yeah unpleasant it's boring it's it's pressure and i remember in london um actually getting into a bottleneck and mm. actually swearing in my head not out loud obviously but going get out of my bloody way i want to get past you you're holding me up and i kind of honestly i just i got such a fright i thought my god you've turned into a monster and i was so shocked at my behavior because that's not me ever um, and also just having to run with other people touching me. I mean, usually, you know, I'm like the winner. I have the whole road to myself. So mm. I can, you know, sway and sing and do whatever I feel like doing. And um, I always have, you know, a whole water table to myself. Having to share one with people <laughs> was a really like, unpleasant experience. Um, so I suddenly realized that although I'm capable of running faster, it's not my style. I don't enjoy mm. it. And I actually feel that, you know, I have a very um, – very, very jam-packed life. I do a lot of different things. I'm a hypnotherapist. I'm a wedding celebrant. I'm a journalist. I'm a writer. Um, and I, I really feel like in all the areas of my life, I have to excel and I really have to be perfect or strive to be the best. 
And running, I just don't want running to be another thing like that. I just don't. It's not. A, I don't want it to be on my to-do list. I just want it to be, I'm going out there and I'm going to have a fun social time. And also, if I can encourage someone else, like give them a bit of advice, give them a bit of encouragement. I mean, my favorite thing is just looking at someone next to me who's really struggling in a marathon and going, you look pretty good to me. And then they go, how can you say that? And I go, because I've done a lot of marathons and I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it just makes me laugh. I can say this. I go, you're going to make it today, you know. And it's so nice because I've never been wrong. And I get that, you know, and I get I drag that person with me and I say, do you mind me talking to you nonstop for the next four hours? <laughs> and now it's always like, no, I feel so terrible. I'll, I'll put up with anything, even you. Um, and then just getting them across the finish line. It always feels like I get two medals. You know, I get my own and I get the one of the person that I kind of rescue. But they don't realize they rescue me just as much as I've rescued them. And that's what I do it for is just to have fun, um, to hear people's stories because every runner has a story. And the stories are so inspiring, heart-wrenching, happy, um, you know, incredible sometimes. Um, and it's just like, I, honestly, it's like it's it's like watching a TV program, um, a really, really fascinating TV program going to a marathon. You never know what's going to happen next, who you're going to meet, who's going to join you, who's going to leave you, and what the outcome is at the end, except the one outcome is always, you know, I will get across that finish line, even if the, the cutoff's passed or, you know, um, I have to crawl. David, what, David, percentage of, oh, what percentage of people are happy to respond? Because uh, do you get a section of people who are in their own world of pain and just want to be left to actually focus without having to have a conversation with you? Well, funny enough, someone did ask me that once because they said, so do you just talk all the time? When you're I said, well, only when I've got someone next to me who's talking back. I said, I'm not mad. Um, the thing is, I never approach people in a race. It's, it's almost almost unheard of for me to actually go and talk to someone. Mm. Um, I always run in fancy dress, um, and so people always come talk to me. And I'm very sensitive to that. I mean, if someone really doesn't want to talk to me, um, mm. I, I can sense it straight away, and I would, I, I would never – you know, if they just wanted to ask me something and then I can sense that's where the conversation should end, I'm very, very happy to leave them because, um, yeah, I would never inflict myself on, on someone. But most people are just so grateful to have their mind taken off um, yeah. what's actually going on in their body at the time. Um, so, you know, it's only the only problem is if you're so far at the back, which happened um, this year in the Brighton Marathon, um, it started raining. I'd been on the phone to my husband, who's terrible on the phone, so he bought me stuff for 15 years. <laughs> and I just told him, I said, You are, I've been married for 27 years. And I said, I am sorry to say, but you're the most important <laughs> person I've ever had a conversation with. Um, so he said, oh, I'm really sorry. Don't like talking on the phone. I said, yeah, I know that. So I put the phone down and I was just starting to feel terrible despair um, because the, I was. Oh, there's a point in the marathon where there's always a lady dresses up as a queen and she always toasts, toasts me as I go by. So I've done this about seven or eight times. And she wasn't even there. She'd even gone home, you know, and, and she really does proper queen face mask. And when I showed my um, brother-in-law a picture of her, he actually thought she was really the queen. <laughs> but I, I don't think the Queen comes to support Brighton. But anyway, so, so Queen had gone home, and there I was, and I found this, um, you know, someone 20 years younger than me, but a uh, gentleman at the side of the road, just looking in a really bad way. And there was um, another person sort of my age with him. And I said to him, well, you're right, because he just looked terrible. And he said, mm. no, I'm not, actually. And he just said, I am having the marathon from hell. It's my first one. I don't know why I signed up to do this. I'm hating it. It's terrible. And I said, are you injured? And he said, no. And I said, well, fine. I said, get up. And I said, 
just start walking. You can't, this is ridiculous. If you sit down, you'll never get up again. You know, just stop it. And I said, come with me. I said, I've never lost anyone before. And it turned out the gentleman with him um, had picked him up at six miles and had seen he was in a bad way. So he'd been encouraged, you know, he was having a bad time from six miles in. And this was already at about 18 miles. And we just, the three of us just started talking started laughing, started telling our stories, and they were running for miscarriage charities, and that's an area that I know quite a lot about through my work with hypnotherapy and bereavement um, and things like that. And the next minute, um, it was just the happiest threesome you've ever seen. Um, the other guy's wife came along with the baby, and then we started doing it really slowly, that even too slowly for me. <laughs> And I had to say, listen, this is not going to work. We can't go at sort of newborn pace. And so it was actually very clever. And um, the other guy said to the lady, go and go and fetch us some chips and do a shortcut and give us some chips along the way near the end. That'll be good. So um, she went off to do that with the baby. And we did a huge loop, you know, to Shore and Power Station and back. And then she brought us the chips and we all finished um, together. And it was such an emotional um, finish. You know, his 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 other child was just so delighted to see his dad finish. Um, his wife was so proud of him, you know, and it was a very, very tearful um, finale. But that's just the kind of thing I absolutely love doing. It, it just felt you know, so worthwhile. And I just said to him, you saved my race because really at that point, um, you know, just not seeing anyone else on the course, um, even, you know, people who, who had read my book kept saying, can I talk to you? Can I talk to you? And I said, oh, I love that. Can I just get my blister sorted out? And I got my blister sorted out. And then I took a photo with the lady and then she said, oh, okay. And she shot off in the other direction in the switchback. And I'd, I'd acted like a real diva, you know, and I didn't realize, I thought she was going to run with me. I thought she was, she was, she was a fast one. So she was for making her wait for me to get all my blisters tended to. Um, before I take a selfie with her, but it was really lonely out there, and that's why um, you know you have to be careful about the marathons you choose if you're as slow as me, because if there are not enough people doing them, you know mm. you can easily end up on your own. Well, and that's then it's that's, a, that's a question I was going to ask you. That um, David has a saying that you should always you should choose the races that you want to pose. <laughs> and I was just wondering, are there have there what are the like what have been the best type of races where you decide that this is perfect for? Uh, trying to come last, uh, and then what are the what are the worst ones? I suppose the worst ones must be things like if you know that that, that guy in that diving suit's going to be doing it. Yeah. There's no way you yeah. As soon as the guy dive, diving suit guy turns up, you're like game over straight away. Jody, you, you're still thinking I'm strategizing to come last. <laughs> I have to say, I'm just trying to think. I'm just looking at my little list of last because um, remember I did quite a few before I did actually come last. Um, well, I mean. You know, it's nice when you're coming last, it's nice when there's a back marker who, who's really nice. Like mm. when I did the Halstead and Essex um, marathon, um, there was a man on a motorbike and he just came with me for the last, I don't know how many miles, 10 miles. And um, and he was just so interesting. Um, and I've had people, you know, who are going to cycle in their 70s, they're 70 years old, and they're going to cycle across the whole of America and they've done it before. So, you know, you get someone like that, a storyteller next to you, um, and that's ideal. Like if you can find a back marker like that. I have to tell you that the worst, worst kind of marathon for me is when the person who's assigned to be the back marker hates you. And um, that is a very difficult position to be in. And it happened to me at the Riga Marathon because I didn't really 
because I was doing so many marathons at the time, I didn't really read the race instructions too carefully. And um, I was just pinning on my race number when they said, let's sing happy birthday to the race. And then one minute after that, the race will start. And I hadn't done any pre-race interviews, which I was meant to do because I was writing for Women's Running Magazine. And I hadn't had time to set my Garmin or anything. It was just an absolute terrible panic. And so, of course, by the time I actually even managed to get to the start, and start, I was already lost. I was I was lost from the word go. Um, and there was this grim-faced back marker um, on a motorbike. And I kept trying to give little, like, cheerful little smiles at him. You know, <laughs> hey, buddy, it's me and you today. We're going to do the whole 42.2 together. And he just scowled and... <laughs> Rumped me, oh my god, and I just thought, I just can't do this. I actually cannot spend 42.2 um, uh, kilometers um, in the company of someone so unpleasant. And although you know, we couldn't speak the same language or anything, so at least it was a little bit less awkward. Um, and I was plodding along, and all of a sudden, the 77 year old man um, came into view with these bright neon orange shorts um, and these really funky trainers, and he was actually the oldest man in the race. And um, Fortunately, um, I managed to overtake him, and the back marker then had to stay with him the whole, <laughs> the whole race. Um, and then I had a bit of a mishap in the race. I actually skipped out a section by accident, and all of a sudden I was on a bridge, and I just kept thinking, there's something wrong. Like, I didn't pass these people, and all of a sudden I'm in, not in the middle of the race, but I'm still, I've got people around me now who I didn't I haven't run past and I, I, I bumped into someone who had I'd run with in Geneva and she just screamed at me, you're cheating, you're cheating, you've cut out a bit, you've cut out a bit. <laughs> she knew there was no way I was ahead of her. <laughs> um, and so I was like, oh my God. And so I suddenly worked out what I'd done wrong and I went to race over to a marshal and I, and, I, and I said to him, look, I've got to tell you, I need this for the 100 Marathon Club. I cannot be seen to cheat. You have to be my, you know, witness that I actually climbed over the barriers and went and ran this loop. You know, he was just looking at me in utter bewilderment, didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> and I said, I honestly, and I was trying to memorize his face, like man with beard, man with beard and glasses, so that I could document this all, you know, which I later did for the poor race director. So I ran, went and ran the extra loop that I'd missed out. And in the end, ended up coming back and, and running with the um, lovely 77-year-old who did not walk one step in that whole race except on the cobbles where he said, you know, I risk breaking my leg so I can't run here. And the lovely thing was by that time, um, the sulky, grumpy um, motorbike um, back marker had obviously, you know, had enough of us. And um, we just had a policeman in a car. And he just, when we crossed the line, he just jumped out of the car, threw open the door, like a scene, you know, from Starsky and Hutch, and just came running over to us and just gave us both this huge hug. And he <laughs> was so chuffed and so proud of the 77-year-old. You know, it was just tears all around. It was just absolutely fantastic. So that one did come come good. But, I mean, if a, if a back marker, you know, is, is wants to go home um, or has got piles or something, then, you, then you've got a problem. <laughs> and and do you think the, I mean, is the back of the pack in general neglected by races, would you say? Are they treated differently or, you know, a, a, is there a huge variation in the races? You know, that's a really good question. I mean, I, I am quite militant about this. Mm. Is we pay the same entry fee that everyone else does, okay? And there's no way we're ever going to get any prize money or anything like that. And I do think races just do not... Um, care what happens, a lot of races, I'm not saying all of them, but I mean, mm. bad races do not care about what happens to the people at the back. So I've been mm. races where there's been no water, the water's run out, or there's been, the, the water tables have packed up everything, everything. 
and you can pass and you go and they go oh god and they go like from the van like you know and it's you know you're losing time i mean even though yeah. you laugh but you are losing time and they go and get reluctantly get a bottle out and start unscrewing it laboriously to pour you some water um so the other thing that really really upsets me is when bands stop playing before you come by mm. and you know it breaks your heart because sometimes you know you hear something in the in the distance and you get so excited your heart starts pounding and you think oh my god it's going to be those fantastic you know um samba drummers or something and then you know, you're just about to get there and they stop and they pack away and i just think um you know race directors should really think about the psychological impact on their slower runners and mm. i just think um <clears throat> you know especially another problem is um these cutoffs that people put in quite arbitrarily sometimes and i just think you know running has now become such a democratic sport there are so many older people running. I mean, you know, I've run a marathon with an 80-year-old man who fell over twice and still finished at the same time I did. Um, so there are so many older runners and there's also people who are injured and they're just people who are really improving their health by taking up running. They're not talented at it, but they, you know, they dedicate it. Um, and to have cutoffs, you know, um, which just breaks people's heart and morale, I think is really, mm. really um, unfortunate. And so I do think, you know, races can make a lot, well, they can make a lot more, if, if possible. I mean, sometimes it's just not possible because, you know, you have to open a highway and there's just nowhere for people to walk or run. But, um, you know, if there is a pavement available, it should be, um, it should be, you should be allowed to continue the race um, and, and get a medal and a time. Um, so, yeah, I would avoid the ones where um, I feel that back, back people aren't appreciated. But some, you know, as I said, some marathons really do value us. And how, how do you spot that, though, in advance? Does it tend to be there's a rule for big city ones, for trail ones, for smaller ones? or You know, you can't spot it in advance. But I have to tell you, the trail ones, it is the most touching sight. You know, I've never been abandoned in a trail one. They've mm. always either had a marshal there or they've left a little pile of stuff, like a little secret <laughs> for me. And it's just wonderful. You, you're running along and you just – because I'm always self-supporting. So I have, you know, my chocolate, um, you know, protein bars whatever I fancy eating it's always on me I never ever take a risk that they will provide because I've had so many mishaps you know in this regard um and then to come across a little squirrel stash somewhere I mean it just it honestly does melt your heart and you think someone cared enough you know to put a little cup of crisps and a few flapjacks and a tiny bottle of water there for you um is is really really um so sweet um I really probably some homeless guy who starved that night because he <laughs> He collected his dinner, putting it in a special spot for lunch, and then. <laughs> it is possible that it could, that may have happened. Uh, but one of the races that I did, that I, I wrote about in um, my book, Your Pace or Mine, was um, it was called Beauty and the Beast, and I did it for. Um, women's running magazine and i was just invited to do it so i had done no research at all and i didn't realize it's called you know the toughest multi-lap off-road marathon in the uk that was its kind of selling I, point i did it i did that for <laughs> men's running oh, yeah jody did you cry i it, i was a week back from doing the transalpine thinking oh, oh it's going to be a nice easy trail run uh it's gonna be nice easy marathon on my you know to, to ease me back into it. Oh my God. Well, at least you were fit enough to do it. I nearly cried walking up to the start. <laughs> yeah, that was. Going, it was oh, if it this was... is how hard it is getting to the start, can you imagine what this race is going to be like? And I, there's a runner I know called Dave Wise who films um, races, and he didn't even say hello to me, even though it's six laps, because he said he was in tears. 
God, it was it was such a hard race. And they had a cutoff as well. And um, I was running around, and there was this woman called Rini, and Rini Pullbeam. And she was sitting on a chair, and every time I came around, she'd give me encouragement to ask me how I was doing. And the last lap, I said, I don't think I'm going to um, make the cutoff. And she said, that's nonsense. And she sort of slung her camp chair over her shoulder and grabbed my water bottle so that I could eat a banana that she stuffed in my hand. And there she was in full hiking boots, like coaching me on how to trail because <laughs> I've never actually run, you know, trails before. Yeah. Um, she coached me around um, the whole the whole way. And again, I, I crawled up that hill. You know what it's like. I mean, yeah. you literally crawl. I mean, there's no other way to get up that hill. You would just fall backwards if you try to stand up. And um, and I got, again, like an absolute um, standing ovation. I've never forgotten her as well. Um, so there's always some little uh, moment of, you know, glory somewhere. <laughs> there was, there was, I remember that because that, there was a guy doing it barefoot. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I didn't see and, and everyone was going, oh, God, that guy's doing it barefoot. Um, because it was just, uh, I think it was just after Born to Run had been released as well. So there was always, there was always a barefoot runner at a race at that point, wasn't there? When <laughs> yeah, was, yeah. yeah, and they were, they were always the last to come in, or or you'd see them like, basically as St John's Ambulance stretcher. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that was like insanely hard race. It was it was a nice, I, I think it was a nice one. But I, oh, I don't think they did it again, did they? I did oh, again. No, no, they did actually in a different venue. Oh, but okay. that's the funny thing. I swore never again, and then I just thought the race director was so charming, um, and he did actually the next time I did it. Oh, this is such a funny story actually. Um, I was in the toilet queue, and there was this guy dressed from head to toe in buff gear, and he really looked like a professional marathon day star person. And I was thinking, my God, you know, geez, if I bought a bit more gear, like maybe I could look a bit like that. <laughs> anyway, so I was struggling my way around this course and I was laughing to myself thinking, I did say I would never do it again and here I am back here. And my poor husband was waiting in the field, waiting for me to finish. And one of the marshals said, um, what are you doing? And he said, no, I'm just waiting for my wife. And she said, do you think your wife will finish? And my husband said, you don't know my wife. And, of course, I did finish, which I thought I was very proud that my husband said that about me. And the race director stayed late. He nearly missed his train so that he could personally give me the medal. But I said to him, I'm really sorry that I made you, you know, I came last again and I've, I've made you stay late. And he said, you're not last, you know. And I went, what? And he said, no, someone else is last today. And all of a sudden, who should come into view but Mr. Buff? And Mr. Buff <laughs> from the toilet queue and he came last. And that taught me a very important lesson. If you are going to come last, you know, at least look the part. At least, like, dress like an elephant. Yeah. Have a flamingo on your head like I do. Do not look like you've just fresh out of the Marathon Day Soul because that is actually very funny. Well, i tell you what, we, yeah. we've got a lot of people in the group who are like that. <laughs> well, look, all the idea or like me? No, 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 they look the part. They, on, yeah. on purpose most of the time, look the part, dress like they're going to be doing a Marathon Day Soul and then you know, joy, joyfully come back of the pack. Actually, that's one fancy dress outfit I haven't actually worn yet. Is the marathon day solve outfit? <laughs> I, I really mean, must get one. <laughs> like doing a parkrun with sticks is always good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I have been tempted to do parkrun with my hundred marathon club T-shirt on, but then I did think that that was a little bit OTT. But um, I did a half marathon recently, and I did. I didn't. I didn't think I was exactly lost, but I was. They didn't give me a time, and um, they said, "And that's Lisa Jackson coming in. She's a hundred marathon club member. 
she does these half marathons just for fun. <laughs> and of course, as I clawed my way across the, the finish line, it was actually a little bit embarrassing. I thought, no, maybe next time I should do this <laughs> before I, I donned my 100 Marathon Club t-shirt. So, so, yeah, out, out of interest, how, um, how litigious are the 100 Marathon Club, would you say? Litigious? Yeah. <laughs> done have you have you have you faked we, a, a what's t-shirt? my ideas? we were thinking of um setting up a 101 marathon club <laughs> marathon club <laughs> so that people could wear the t-shirt and everyone in the 100 marathon club would be annoyed that theirs was one less than ours Oh, that is hilarious. No, they've got a great sense of humor. I have to say, you will not believe how supportive that club is. And I think they're even better because they now got these, a lot of people buy these um, Quest for the Vest t-shirts um, with 100 blocks on a um, snakes and ladders board. And then when, when you every time you do a marathon, they either embroider the number or you stick a button on it or something like that. So people in the 100 Marathon Club can recognize who's trying to join the club. So um, They get really got, heavy then. I think for some people, yes, yes. I, I think I wouldn't want to run in one with a hundred buttons on. And um, but no, they're a really fun club. I mean, you know, I think some people there is a subgroup actually in the hundred marathon club, and it's the you know sub three hour, three and a half hour hundred marathon club. Do you know what I mean? There's all kinds of little like splinter groups and stuff. So I don't think you'd be, um, you know, sued. <laughs> it's, it's, that something you were just saying there, um, which is kind of the flip side of this, which. Um, they're very supportive, but have you come across people who are less supportive? Because, you know, the definition of, of, of what someone is a runner differs for so many different people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, some people saying you've got to be sub four, all, all these different things. Do, be it seen as, you know, you've been around, you know, you've probably spoken to those people at different running clubs and you've probably seen like the reaction things. You Do you, have you had a, a, a almost like a, a, a negative uh, pushback by anyone? Has people suggested anything uh, different from that have you, you know have you had arguments about what what's right like have, have 100 marathon club runners thought you know the, there's you know this the, there's a difference between someone that you know aims to come last and and someone that, that tries to win it has there been any any negativity around it no i would say not in person because a lot of people in the 100 marathon club who've now run 850 marathons are running with me I mean, you know, Roger Biggs, he's had a, a huge injury for a very long time and he's run like several marathons with me. Um, so they know what it's like being a very good marathon runner and then for no fault of their own being really slow and being at the back. So I wouldn't say in person. I think um, online, you know, I sometimes see things that make my blood boil about people deciding who they think is a runner and yeah. who they think is mm. not. And yeah. I honestly think that that is so unhelpful. I really do. I mean, if you fast, great. I honestly cannot tell you how much respect I have for fast runners. I know the commitment goes into it because I've tried to be fast myself. So, you know, I admire the dedication, the the pain that they put themselves through. But I think to say, you know, I'm a runner and you're not, um, to anyone. I mean, even if that person is only capable of running three steps and then they walk the rest of the race, what do you get out of that? You know, you don't need to make someone else feel small to make yourself feel big. I, I, that's Some people really, do, though. Yeah, well, I, I think it's a very sad and, and tragic attitude. Um, mm-hmm. I just think, look, if any of us can get more people in this country moving and just benefiting from, you know, the mental health benefits of running um, and even run walking or walking most of it. You know, I've done loads of marathons where I've walked loads of, you know, the majority of the distance I've had to walk. Um you know, what's wrong with that? And I just think 
you know, by, by turning it into something that's elitist and you look down on people mm. and they're not welcome and all this kind of thing. Um, I, I just, I really have a problem with that because, you know, in South Africa, apparently most races there have a four and a half hour cutoff. And if that was the case, like mm. I wouldn't have run a single marathon. And what's the point of that? I don't I don't see it. Like, why bar someone like me from from running a marathon? Or why bar anyone who's slow? Um, because you know, by being by being slow, I'm still being healthy, and I'm 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 not a burden on the NHS. So yeah, I don't think people should set themselves up as judges. I mean, in their own little personal mind, they could say I'd die of embarrassment if I if I walked for one one meter in a marathon. You know, I know um, Steve Edwards. He's amazing, and he doesn't count a marathon unless it's under sub three and a half. Good on him. How fantastic. You know, he trains. Once I wanted to talk to him, and I, I couldn't talk to him because he was out training. You know, how amazing is that? That shows such dedication. But he'll be the first person to be welcoming and treat me as an equal. Um, and that's the kind of runners I think we need um, We need more of. I mean, and funny enough, um, I often find that, that the people who are the best runners, um, you know, really, really renowned runners, like, say, Joe Pavey um, or Bargesso, um, or Catherine Switzer, um, they are the most sympathetic to slow runners. They're the most encouraging. They just want you to have the same fun they're having. And I think that's kind of the the attitude we should, all should have. There's plenty of room at the party. And, um, you know, and remember too that, you know, without slow runners, you know, you can't run a marathon. You can't host a marathon for the top 100 people, you know, 100 runners. There's very seldom... Um, you know, is it financially viable? So you need us. You know, races need us. Um, and you need Buffman buying all the kit. Yeah, Buffman. Sponsors aren't going to be. Exactly. I've single-handedly kept the whole blooming fancy dress. Um, you know, <laughs> in China going. <laughs> but do you think, kind of, even say amongst the hundred marathon? club the fact they've got these sub 330 club and they've probably got ones for different times here and there do you think that feeds into the elitism as well though um no i think like well i just think the people that i know that are in that that group um are just very friendly and they treat everyone else with respect so mm. i think it's fun to have goals i mean you know why did i want mm. to be in the 100 marathon club because i just had this suddenly just thinking God, I could do something I never thought possible, just like I could do comrades. Um, so, and of course, for some people, just doing 100 isn't a challenge. Mm. Like, you know, they can run a two and a half hour marathon or a three hour marathon and they can do two a day. And so for them, they need another challenge. So they've got to say, okay, I've got to set myself a higher bar. I don't have any problem with that. I don't have any mm. problem with people, um, you know, subcategorizing themselves. But, um, I do think that all runners should treat each other with respect. And that's another thing. I really think runners should smile at each other when we pass each other. Yeah. Nod, a little wave. You know, I'm not going to follow you home. But, mm. you know, you can just acknowledge I'm I'm put myself out here and I'm also struggling or it's a tough hill for both of us. Um, so I'm very much, you know, the kind of person I really wanted to suggest that runners will, you know, start a badge saying I'm a friendly runner. And you could wear one mm. and that would mean another runner could look at you and go, hey, you're safe to nod and smile at. Because what's weird is, you know, I sometimes run where people walk their dogs and walkers will always say hello to me. And like, it just mm. makes me laugh. I think, hang on a minute. I'm not a fellow walker. I'm a runner. You're a walker. How come you're friendly? And yet a lot of runners don't like saying hello. And I, I think that's really a bit of a pity. Yeah, it's like having a, a 2CV driver nodding at a mini driver. It wouldn't happen. Same thing. <laughs> car on car. Beetle on beetle. <laughs> 
But don't yeah. you make happy when you when another car does acknowledge you? Like if I let another car in and they flash their lights at me, I get this massive surge of happiness. And it's the same with you know being acknowledged by another runner, fast or slow. It's nice. Because one thing I've I've always struggled with um, if I'm supporting people. So for example, the last Met League I went to cross country, the the women race first. And then I was out doing my warm up. And as I jogged back, one of the ladies who was at the back um, was still jogging along. And I I said, like, keep it going, buddy. And she just went, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) She must know you, though. She knows you. (laughs) To be fair. That's true. That's true. Shut up. But I even even find when I'm because I've I've been out in the London Marathon course cheering people on or, you know, the end of races. And there's there's sometimes you you do get a response back which is just leave me alone and sod off you patronizing bastard where you're just trying to be genuinely encouraging um and so i'm always a little bit more cautious about people at the back of actually trying to support them in case they take it in a bad way for some reason do you know i think sometimes as you probably know you can get into such a bad way you know, that you are literally homicidal. I mean, your blood sugar is so low, you're so cold, you're so tired, you're in so much pain. You know, I I, I get that. But I think, um, honestly, I, mean, I often, if I go to support a race, I will wait deliberately um, for the people who are coming last. Um, and I've gone back on the course, you know, London Marathon, I've been up there for eight and a half hours as a marshal, and I've gone back and I actually got to meet um, Fauja Singh that way. Um, because I just went back to encourage those people through those last sort of um, two or three miles. Um, and I have to say, all the people that I encouraged, um, I've never had that response. Um, they all really appreciate it. You know, I can sometimes just, you know, by saying, look, you're nearly there. You're doing amazing. You can't wait for it. You see those medals people are wearing? That You're going to be sleeping in your medal tonight. You know, if you say the right things, you can see people doubled over and, and or, like, actually literally almost coming to life and straightening up um, and, and finishing with pride and purpose. Um, so I don't think you should be scared of that. I mean, obviously, you're always going to encounter, you know, the odd person who um, is having a particularly bad time. Um, and in that case, yeah, you know, you just got to take it uh, on the chin. But most people that I know, I mean, particularly for me, I mean, God, if people are staying there and they're on the railings and they are just, you know, calling me home, basically. I, I mean, just the surge, you know, of of joy that I feel when people have done that for me, um, mm. it's invaluable. And I, I always try and give that back to people if I can. Mm. And, and you, you mentioned earlier that you do hypnotherapy as well. Mm. Is that, is that something we can use for running? Oh, absolutely. Um, I definitely used it a lot for comrades because when that person snorted at the idea of me doing comrades, mm. I came home and I cried for three hours. And this comrade's dream of mine just, you know, just lay shattered at my feet. And um, I didn't. I stopped training at that point. I, I didn't do any more speed training. I just, I just lost heart in the whole project. I just, I just. I couldn't see the point of it. I thought they were, you know, they were right. I thought I'd really embarrassed mm. myself by, by. I wasn't boasting about it. Just if people asked me, I'd say, yeah, and I'm training for mm. comrades. And I thought, you've really gone and done it now. Um, everyone's going to be laughing at you. You know, you said you were going to do something like that. And of course, you're never going to. And then I suddenly sort of one day just thought, Lisa, for God's sake, you're a, you're a hypnotherapist. You know, this is the kind of crisis of confidence that you're helping your clients with all the time. And, and why aren't you just using your own techniques on yourself? 
And so I went and found some YouTube footage of people that would be finishing comrades in the time I intended finishing it, which was 11.45. And they were, you know, elderly people because they they have little badges on saying, if you're older than 60, you have a 60. And if you're older than 70, you have a 70. And there were people, you know, with 60 and 70 badges on, finishing with their arms in the air, huge, you know, like – hugs at the end they weren't crawling across the finish line which is the kind of stuff i'd seen as a child you know the kind of mm. dramatic yeah. cut off at the end and i just said to myself right they're 60 and 70 and you are 40 what is your problem lady you can do this and i started in hypnosis just imagining myself and i imagined the smell of the grass because it's i don't know how it finishes now but in those days it finished on grass and i just imagined the smell of crushed crushed grass under my feet imagine I saw people hitting the um, metal hoardings. And I imagined the deafening sound of people hitting the hoardings for me. And I imagined raising my arms in the air, um, you know, just just at that moment. Because my sister told me, you'll never finish with your arms in the air. You'll, you'll be finishing with your arms like drooped down like this. <laughs> and I thought, no, I'm not going to finish like that. I want to finish like looking fantastic. Um, and I rehearsed this in hypnosis over and over again until that became, that is the only way this race is going to finish. I made no plan B of like how my husband was going to find me if I dropped out, um, you know, anything like that. It was absolutely I rehearsed failure, just like, um, you know, Roger Bannister used to do because he actually apparently when he um, wanted to run the sub four minute mile, he just said, okay, all I have to do is get around that track in under a minute. So he just imagined the clock going north 59 or whatever. And the next time it had to be, you know, less than two minutes and the next time less than three minutes and then it's less than four minutes. So he was one of the first people to use visualization and I used it a lot. Um, and I also, you know, have a lot of mantras that I say to myself, like, um, I am fit, I am strong, I will run this marathon. And then someone else um, made it really funny because she said, I am fit, I am strong, I will look good in my thong. So I kind of say these little funny things that make me laugh. Mm. Um, and I just go, you know, uh, say, for example, in with courage and conviction, out with fear and doubt, in with courage and conviction, out with fear and doubt. And I just find that when those kind of negative thoughts come in, because I, I don't think I've ever had a marathon where I haven't wanted to finish, uh, where I haven't wanted to give up. Mm. Honestly, it, it, I don't, I can't think of one. I always, and it's often just after the first 10 steps, I just go, this year's Brighton. I just thought, I don't want to be here anymore. And then it was like, well, you've run one kilometer. Your husband's brought you down for the weekend. Your friends have put you up and got up at six in the morning to make you raspberry porridge. And mm. what are you going to tell them? Oh, sorry, after 1K, I just decided I didn't feel like it. So, you know, everyone, I think, is plagued by these negative thoughts. And if you've got some strategies like the ones I have of the – positive visualization i mean one of the things i also tell myself is i'll be sleeping in my medal tonight and i do sleep in my medals and you know that just to me that feeling and also i'll lie in that warm bath and i'll be drinking tea and i'll have this beautiful kneep um eucalyptus oil in the water you know i kind of have all these visions of what's going to happen afterwards um and that can get you through those rough patches so i use hypnosis um a heck of a lot and i honestly attribute the fact that I finished Comrades twice, um, and actually I've done it three times, but the third time I, I've tripped after um, one kilometer. So I was very badly injured, and I, I got to 78 kilometers, but I didn't finish it. Uh, but I really think that, um, you know, for someone who's untalented like myself to run a mm. race that has got a time cut off like that and such a long race, um, hypnosis was absolutely crucial. I don't think I could have done it without it. And so is do you actually have to go under into a hypnotic state to really benefit from that then or is it something that you can just find something to look forward to and, and keep on reminding yourself of that in in hard times is that similar as well or 
Well, the thing is that um, hypnosis is a state we go into all the time. So if you're daydreaming, you're in a hypnotic state. Um, mm. If you're lying on a sun lounger and you're sort of halfway between waking and sleeping, you're in a hypnotic state. Um, and one of the definitions of hypnosis is it's a state of concentrated attention. So anytime that you just really concentrate, like watching television, for example, you go into a hypnotic state. And that's why if you watch a horror movie on Halloween, you are going to get scared because mm. you've stopped using your conscious mind and you just using your unconscious mind because you're so focusing on the television so you can train yourself to go into a trance very very easily just by doing a countdown from 10 to 1 and saying each number on an out breath um, and then you rehearse these things um, in hypnosis which creates a new neural pathway in your brain so that becomes a reality for you just like if you've you know run the same route all the time I mean the next time you go you don't have to think about where you're running you just but you know where you're going. So it's the same. You create a route for success in your brain. And then when you're running, um, actually you go into hypnotic state naturally anyway. I think you might have experienced this in races. I mean, in the beginning, you know, you really notice who's around you, what your body's feeling like, and, you know, what the scenery's like. And then after a while, no matter where you're running, I mean, you can be running in Paris, you know, the most beautiful city in the world, and all of a sudden nothing really matters except that white line in front of you. And you're, you're, attention has narrowed so much um, and you just you know just putting one foot in front of the other so you actually naturally in a hypnotic state and you actually naturally um, you know open to those suggestions as long as they're positive ones um, well you need to give yourself positive ones mm. um, so yeah you can do waking hypnosis as well you can just stare at a spot on a wall um, and just think these thoughts to create a new positive um, neural pathway um, in your mind Okay, interesting. Did um, you? Uh, this is this is very interesting though, because I just wanted to ask something of you, David. Did you hmm. did you practice visualization for the Endercom raids? And did she always yeah. say yes? So I don't know if you know, David. <laughs> David proposed to uh, his fiance at the end of uh, Comrades. No, oh how yeah. wonderful! I said it must be a special raid for you, and it's for me. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, I hadn't no, I hadn't visualised anything actually. Um, <laughs> no, you <I>, saying yes. <laughs> the well, I, I imagine no. I, you, oh, you what? You didn't you didn't visualise what would happen if she'd have said no. It hadn't crossed my mind once. <laughs> that was, it that had was never had a possibility. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. No, I mean, I, I don't think I'd ever propose to someone who I thought might say no, because I think that, that means they're probably not right for you. If you're still, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure she likes me, but there's this, this <laughs> element of doubt. <laughs> but, um, but I just thought, I just yeah. thought you, you'd use visualization or something like that. I've I, when I was training for um, the marathon, I used to say to myself, "This is two forty. This is sub two forty five running," and I'd say that all the time. Like yeah. myself, like, yeah. And so whenever when anything was hard, it would be because for a positive reason. So I'm like, I'm really tired, and like, of course you're tired. It's because your training's so damn hard. You badass. Or wow, this is just getting really tough now. Of course it's tough because you're training so damn hard because you're a monster. And, you know, and you'd, I'd always, you know, I'd admit the negativity, but I'd use yeah. it as a positive because, you know, unless you're injured, which is just an outright negative, anything else is actually because of a positive or is leading to a positive. Like, yeah, you've, you're exhausted, but you're going to be so strong next time you run. Or, and so it, it's just how you... I guess position that news rather than anything else, but um, absolutely, it's yeah, called reframing. Any... It's called reframing. You just take it, 
it is what it is and you need to somehow craft it into a positive. You, you've done that beautifully. I mean, I should actually use that for my next client. Because <laughs> I have helped, I have helped um, you know, um, triathletes, runners, ping pong players, um, you know, to use all these techniques to, um, you know, excel. So it's, well, it's very, very effective. One marathon, I, I put henna tattoos and all down my arms. I think it was the first one I ever did. It was the second where I had no hope of hell of finishing without walking. You know, and I knew that, and I had all these little munches in my arms. And uh, it rained, and they all smudged. And because they were new manches, I didn't really know what they were. So I was trying to read these things. <laughs> so was, oh, that's so sweet. It really didn't work very well. So. You've got to commit to them early enough that they're there for reminders as opposed to actually something that's informing you of the information. That's right. Now, I think you need to practice them in training, um, like everything. Yeah. And, and I have you... enough. I struggle in training, so it's, it's all right. I've got lots of time to practice desperation strategies. So what's your, ga- your goal now then? If you've, you've hit them at 100 Marathon Club um, and – is there another subcategory you're interested in? Are there particular races? Are you going for a hundred last places? Or <laughs> that's actually a good one. I should think of that. No, um, as I said, I want to stay married. That's my main goal. So um, <laughs> my husband absolutely hates running, but he's done, as it always says, famously something like 27 marathons and two comrades against his will. Whoa! Yeah, so it's very funny that he hates. He honestly does. He hasn't got a good thing to say about running until <laughs> he's had a few beers, and then he might say, "Okay, grudgingly, you know, I'm glad I've run." Um, so I, I think half marathon distances, my husband doesn't hate as much as marathons. Yeah. So I'm trying to aim for um, 100 half marathons now, and it doesn't matter to me if they, you know, it's verified. Sorry? Surely it's got to be 200. 200 marathons. <laughs> 200, 200 half marathons. Oh, 200 half. Oh, no, you see, I don't know. You know, there's more appeal to running 200 marathons than there is running 200 halves because there's just something so special about a marathon. You know, I just love it that I can – I've always – you know, for quite a while now, I've been able to relatively comfortably get to halfway in a marathon, but it's from that halfway to the end. That is such a huge mental struggle. The demons come up, demons go back, the flying monkeys descend, I beat them off. And I just find that whole process so fascinating. And, you know, as a hypnotherapist, just thinking how the mind works and how you can override, you know, the negativity and, and I find it fascinating how you can feel negative for no reason you know you can be running downhill and all of a sudden you think I want to stop now and you go why are you saying that and then you'll be you know climbing a, a hill and you, you're absolutely struggling and you just think jeepers this this feels quite good I'm just getting up there um so I just find that whole thing of how your mind um and your emotions change in a race for no reason fascinating and I love that because I know if I'm feeling bad it won't last. I will definitely mm. feel better. And if I'm feeling good, unfortunately, I sometimes think, oh, God, you know, when's the bad bit coming? But it doesn't – it's not inevitable. Um, and I just think it's very, very fascinating, that whole internal struggle. Um, and that's why I chose marathons rather than halves because I just think that that second part is what, what grows you as a person. And I think, you know, the resilience I brought up from fighting myself so much in marathons, it's, it's really um, stood me in very good stead in other areas of my life. Um, you know, especially writing books. I mean, it is such a difficult process. It's exactly like writing a marathon. Mm. You know, the, the end goal is so in your mind, so glamorous and fantastic. And the actual reality is really, really hard. And it's not glamorous in the slightest. And 
you're just sitting at a desk with coffee stains all over it and you're not in a cottage by the sea, you know, staring into space with a thick jumper on a la Hemingway. Um, and it's just very good to, I always, I often think in good, bad times of my life, I think, listen, you know, that stuff that you built up in marathons, you know, use it now because you need it and, and I can do it. So I think um, marathon running is a very, very good mental training. Do more ultra marathons, has that, has that not appealed? Because so much of what, what you said about mm. camaraderie, about all the, you know, all the, the walking, mm. all the chatting, uh, and the fact that there's you know, a lot less pressure and that, you know, they tend to be a lot more forgiving when it comes to um, you know, people going at, at different paces. Did, did, has mm. that never appealed to you? Um, well, I think after Comrades, you know, to me, there is such a thing as too much running. Right. And, um, <laughs> yeah, it's just, oh, my God. I mean, you know, I'm, I move in circles where the new joining the 100 Marathon Club is doing a 100 miler. I mean, I honestly, I know so many people, normal people who have done 100 miles. And I just think, OMG, no, and I just, I, I just kind of think about the pain in my feet, um, you know, and I've, I've developed this thing now, my husband laughs, it feels like um, at a certain point in a race um, that I've got a very man with very strong hands jumping out and clutching at my buttocks. And my husband said, yeah, you wish, but it is like <laughs> intense pain in my glutes for quite a lot of the time as well. Um, and I just think, no, um, I mean, I love um, the whole you know, um, trail running thing, because I think, again, that's a bit like ultra running, um, you know, the time pressure isn't as great, um, and you do have, you know, they say, what is it called, like a picnic, it's just a, a moving picnic or whatever, <laughs> yeah. um, but no, I think um, ultras, I mean, it would have to be a very, very special ultra, I mean, could, I, it could only be comrades, because of the history, mm, yeah. you know, where I come from, if you said to me, do you want to do Western States or something, I mean, not that they'd ever, you know, invite me, but I'm just saying, it, it wouldn't have the same appeal, it had to have something that had an emotional pull for me, so mm. no, but I think 100, 100 halves is a good one, and I'm, I'm not, I don't care now whether I'm officially recognised for finishing, that doesn't worry me, like I wasn't recognised in Bournemouth, um, yeah. It's fine. Um, it's just for my own, um, you know, satisfaction. And actually, I think there's other things I want to try, like um, orienteering, because I just think, you know, just learning to read maps that would be a good, <laughs> good thing. Especially since I love traveling so much, and I, I can guarantee you that if I had to choose between turn left or right, I'll always choose the wrong one. <laughs> so I thought that might be a fun thing to do, you know, to keep keep running fresh, because I think. Um, you know, you do always need to keep finding um, interesting things to do. And I once interviewed um, someone at my running club who did the Arch to Arch, which is that, um, you know, where you mm. run to Dover from Marble Arch and then you swim the English Channel and then you cycle to the um, Arc de Triomphe. And, um, and he just said how every year he, he, he develops a new skill, like he'll, he'll take up hang gliding or he'll mm. take up orienteering. And I found that really inspiring because even someone as talented as him, you know, you can get stale in what you do. So I think mm. it's always important to um, keep it fresh. Because I'm, I'm surprised to, to a certain extent that because you've, you've mentioned how every marathon you've really had a struggle in yeah. and and you that's something you treasure. and But also yeah. I, I, I just expected that nearly everyone who was in the 100 Marathon Club, you get to a point where it just becomes so normal, so past just you know, every day for you to be doing another marathon that – almost your body and your mind and everything, your preparation becomes so 
prepared and formulaic that it is just the case of turning up and doing it and yeah it hurts a bit but it wouldn't be that bad but have you not find it's really changed during that time no <laughs> I don't know I mean I wrote a book called Running Made Easy and I always thought gee I don't know where I didn't make up that title by the way <laughs> to someone else who wasn't a runner because I always thought <laughs> running running made easier mm. um no I, I don't know I've had to fight myself every single marathon but there's such a you know it, the breadth of people in the 100 marathon club I mean you literally get people who knock one out and then they do another one in the afternoon mm. um you know people are now going to be running 20 marathons in 20 days next year there's a new challenge being set up i mean 10 marathons in 10 days yeah loads of people i know have done that mm. um i've only done one um consecutive marathon i did my 100th marathon and then next day i did my 101st in in brighton mm. um and it nearly killed me i mean I, I just i just couldn't understand how anyone could do that so um i mean remember I don't do a lot of training in between marathons, or I didn't at the time. It was mainly, and, and most people in the 100 Marathon Action Club don't. They mm. tend to run their marathon at the weekend and that's it. But obviously for me, it takes up the entire day and possibly mm. the entire weekend. Whereas if you can just quickly go and knock one off for, you know, three hours and then go home and have Sunday at lunch, um, it's a lot easier. But there's lots of people who, who struggle with marathons in the 100 Marathon Club. I mean, it's not everyone there is particularly talented. Mm. Um, and that's what I love about it. Um, but they're all dedicated. You know, they all had this dream um, and, you know, they wanted to to achieve it and they have. And, and it's it's a very, you know, as I said once, um, it's a very elite club because more people have climbed Everest than have joined the 100 Marathon Club. But it's not an elitist club um, that, you know, we don't pull up the drawbridge after we get the T-shirt. You know, we, we build another drawbridge and hope we can encourage other people to join us. Mm. okay oh well thank you so much for coming on it's um have you got yeah. anything else you wanted to to talk about kind of the, the new book's more about travel i guess but um yes the if um if people want to you've mentioned running made easy you've um your you've mentioned your pace not mine if, if people want to follow your future works or get in touch what's the best way for them to do that um well i do go on twitter occasionally um, so that's at Lisa Jackson 43. Um, I do have a Facebook page that I paste on things like this podcast. <laughs> and so you can look for me. It's got a little um, picture of my marathon cake for when I did my 100th marathon. It has got my face. Um, and if people buy my book, it's actually called Your Pace or Mine. You like my father. My, my father always goes, what's your book called again? Your Pace or My Pace? <laughs> like, no, no, Dad. No, no. And he goes, your place or my place? I go, Dad, <laughs> your place or my place? A completely different book. But my email address is in the back. And um, I always love hearing from people because a lot of people have written to me. I mean, literally hundreds of people. Um, and I always reply. I don't ever not reply because I'm so touched. And they just share their marathon story with me and how I changed their view of running. Mm. And that's that because my, my whole philosophy is not um, the time you do, it's the time you have. Mm. And people have said, oh, my God, when I started running like that, my, you know, actually I became faster or I just enjoyed running so much more. Um, so I love having that kind of conversation um, with my readers because at the end of the day, you know, I feel I've discovered a secret that not many people know, and that is that even unathletic people can actually do athletic things. Um, and I think the more people that know that – um, and they can join us. You know, it doesn't have to be marathons. It can just be a park run or half a park run. Um, I kind of 
really like to think that I've encouraged people um, to, you know, benefit from the amazing things that running has done for me. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, thank you so much, going. Hopefully, you've inspired even more people on the podcast today as well. Oh, and, that's uh, wonderful, David. And I'm, I'm never going to think of comrades now without thinking of your romantic proposal. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's Hated that for hundreds of other runners. Now you've got to propose, basically. Yeah, yeah there's no it. point in just finishing it. No, but, uh, <laughs> no there's a club for that. Hundred proposal club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Claire doesn't know about that. But <laughs> well, brilliant. Thanks for coming on again. And if there's anything we can do in the future, then let us know because uh, we, you know, we're a community that love to support as much as we can. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Lovely to meet you both. Our oh, pleasure. Thanks, Lisa. Bye. Good night. Bye. Well, that was a really surprising interview. Surprising? In, in in what way? Well, I, did, I, I, I What 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 would you expect from someone that um, constantly tries to finish last? Hmm. I don't think they'd be as likable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a really good point. I mean, the thing is, you, you think it, you think it's like a very purposeful. Oh, I want to finish last. I want to prove a point. Stuff like that. And it's not yeah. like that at all. It's not like that at all. If you, if like you say, if someone said that to you, oh yeah, I know someone who tries to finish last. You kind of go, mm. yeah. They, what, they, are you, they, what are you trying to prove? Yeah, but exactly. She's not you, like that at all. She's not like that at all. Well, I think she's generally said it's just more fun and massively into that. Um, yeah, absolutely. It does. It does annoy me about how and. We we get this a little bit on on beer lovers and Medoc, but just because they run out. But the the the, the fact she said quite a few marathons, they do just take down the, the aid stations completely. I know. If it's with, the thing is, if it's within cutoff, that yeah. aid station should be going. Aid station should be going for as long as there are runners on the course, and they're going to need it far more than people who are at the front because the, the time in between those aid stations is obviously longer. That's that's a proper issue that I think needs to be addressed by particularly marathons and ultra marathons. Um, that's just that's just not on, and especially as we're trying to encourage more and more people to take part in marathons, and for people not to feel that they can't just you know that they don't have to be unbelievably fit to take part, and that means you need to have be as welcoming as possible and, and make it as easy for people but it's true i mean like when you i mean like a bright marathon in particular you know there's mm. there's a lot of like switchbacks and you see people you know when you're you know a long way ahead and stuff like that and it, literally as they are as as the as the slower runners are coming in the kind of back of the paddy it's literally like a, a zombie apocalypse for them it's like there is nothing it's like a wasteland of you know people have mm. abandoned the the aid stations and stuff like that. I mean, surely when you're getting volunteers in, I mean, I know that volunteers can hang around, but surely you know that this is how long the race lasts. Yeah. If you're getting volunteers in, get the volunteers in for the, the in for the full amount of time. Not saying I'll oh, do it till the water runs out, which seems to be a quite you know quite that seems to be how they how they work it. Um, yeah. Because they, they just be- need the encouragement and everything that goes with it. And it must be so hard as well if you if you do have switchbacks where you've seen all the support on the other side of the road yeah. and you you then get to that point on the other side of the road and there's no one there and they're sweeping the streets and I mean, it must feel so lonely and 
be hard to actually stay positive <laughs> in there. It's when they start packing up the, uh, the all the railings and stuff as well when yeah. people are saying, you're like, what the hell? Just, <laughs> that's yeah. so soul-destroying. Yeah, and I, I, I do understand there is a bit of a time pressure from councils saying you've got to get the roads open and but still um from what lisa was saying i don't think it was just big city marathons that were closing down stations early it sounded like it was a lot of trail and smaller ones as well um yeah but the oh yeah I, i just think it's great to have people turning up and doing marathons and getting out of it what they want to get out of it and i think we need to have a lot more of that so many people out there they do one marathon they they're really disappointed if it's not london and then they train to the trains hard enough to either injure themselves or that when they race they have a horrible time and never run again yeah 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 i just I, i think i think it's really encouraging um what i what i like about what she was talking about was the fact that there was a little bit of competition um around <laughs> the fact that what one the fact that tire girl um uh, pulled her up on it and and the fact that there is someone called tire girl which is a great piece of positioning what but i don't understand why do people decide that uh, my my usp for running is i'll be dragging a tire <laughs> yeah. i just don't i just don't get I don't, I don't really understand do you think she's sponsored by the Michelin Man? Or maybe she's married to the Michelin Man. I don't know. I don't know. I just don't. I, get, I just don't get it. I don't. I, I, do, does everyone now need to have like a some sort of shtick that I, I'm going to pull tires? I'm going to yeah. You because know, I can understand like the, the you know the rhino the people in the rhino outfits because they're obviously sponsoring the rhino thing or this, mm. you know. And what was the person in the diving suit? The person in the diving suit, there was a specific thing. I can't remember what it yeah. was. Which is, and then it just becomes divorced. Yeah, I'm sure the person with the tire is running for, uh, for some charity or, or something like that. But mm. you, when you can't remember what it is, all, all you're thinking about is someone running with a tire. But I, I think, again, it goes back to our Eddie Izzard child killer where it's not enough to run a marathon now. And so... And even to tell your friends, I've run a marathon, no one cares. And so you've got to, you've got to spice up that story. And so now that's why, look at London, how many people attempt to do fancy dress attempts, um, she, world records, so many, or how many run to the start and then do it or have to try and twist it in some way. And so it's just an extension of that. And I think if anything, Instagram's probably going to make it worse because the, a picture of someone running or holding up a medal they're just everywhere and so you've actually got to try and come up with a unique image as well now not just a story because telling someone you've run 100 miles you can't really do that in a picture that effectively so whereas pulling a tire better image um and so <laughs> is it yes yeah, then you get, I mean, but then you get you get someone who's pulling two tires two tire tony He's pulling two tires. He's beating Tire Girl straight off. But the thing is, if someone said, "I'm too tired, Tony," you would you would love that, wouldn't you? <laughs> you mean, is there? There's got to be a Tony listening to this podcast. He could become too tired, Tony. <laughs> but he, um, yeah, but the good thing is, too tired, Tony wouldn't have to pull two tires. He'd just be someone who always finish. He never finishes races because he's always too tired. <laughs> It's like, well, Tony finished. Too tired, oh, Tony. Too tired. Too tired. Tony. <laughs> He'll never make it. 
<laughs> he sounds like a gangster as well. He sounds <laughs> like he sounds like he should be in Lockstock. What would oh. your name be then? What would my name be? Um, so you got Titai Tony. Titai Tony. I don't know. Just, just jumping Jody. Just driving Jody. <laughs> just driving Jody. <laughs> That'd be Rob Young, but um, <laughs> yeah. But there's I, a, I, there's, a, I, there's a, go on. I, I've uh, no, you get, it, you get. It. No, no, go on. You, you you cracked open another beer. I, I haven't a chance to get to the. the what, what have you opened up now? So, so I've opened up another beer because I oh, I'm just thirsty. And um, <laughs> God, what one is it? This one is called Hebrew, which good name to start with. H E and then brew. Funny, funny. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I've just looked. The label has just got lots of images of people who I assume are all Jewish. It's got Jerry Seinfeld. It's got the guy from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Larry David. Larry David. And then I don't recognise anyone else, but I assume they're all famous American Jewish people. But um, <laughs> yeah, right. I, I was trying to figure this out because we said at the beginning of the, this so episode. I, so, so where is it brewed? This one. How does one discover? Brewed in Edinburgh. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> I, in fact, so this was, it's brewed by a place called the good egg and that's what i was wondering because this is supposedly we from as far as we can figure out a box of beer that is linked to eating <laughs> so if this is done by the good egg this must be a breakfast beer <laughs> <laughs> what's the market for that oh i don't know i told you about the breakfast wines thing didn't i no oh i went to when i went to the london international wine fair one year and they um, it must have been, it must have been like five or six years ago, and the yeah. the trend, the trend there was uh, breakfast wines, and they were trying to push these breakfast wines, you know, like the sort of half half the alcohol of normal wine that you could you could drink, not like um, you know, sparkling wines like uh, uh, like champagne, like a Buck's Fizz type thing, but actual red wine that you'd have more, you know, more a little bit more blush maybe. Um, than, than red wine but you just think well I don't, this is never gonna catch on <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> so just before were they saying things like you've got an important meeting at work <laughs> why not have <laughs> some breakfast, breakfast with <laughs> <laughs> we have a breakfast meeting oh, okay great like let's what, what the what the fuck is this <laughs> why have you got wine oh it's okay it's breakfast wine enjoy a bagel <laughs> yeah, and so were they actually just were the people giving a little talk about it as you're going along um uh, it was uh, and to did be honest, everyone to be honest, to be honest like every, 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 it was about 12 o'clock and most of them had been drinking since the since the morning clearly and it, it was kind of debauched um that that kind of stuff there was a guy there who who was seemingly who was wearing a crown and a cape and i had no real idea why um, it was it was very weird. It wasn't a good advert. You're pulling two tires. It was yeah. It wasn't a good advert for for breakfast wines. <laughs> yeah, in fact, he he didn't used to have a crown or a cape, but he started drinking breakfast wine last week, and that's what it's turned him into. But actually, I was joking about. It. So actually, this is an Australian beer, but they brewed it in Edinburgh, and um, it says that it's it's brewed. So it's got citrus and pine, the perfect complement to our Jewish-inspired brunch. So this is a breakfast beer. 
Oh, man. <laughs> Define oh, brunch. What was that? I didn't know the Jews were alcoholics in such a such an extent. I don't. I don't think they care whether they are or not. It's just an angle, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I'd be surprised if they've done a huge amount of research into the um, <laughs> the Jewish drinking at breakfast. But uh, whoa. well, <laughs> two us. What do you uh, What do you think about? Coming last in marathons, do you think it should be encouraged? Is it something you're going to try and do? Have you got any stories from the back of the pack? Or have you got any other ways in which you've look, you look upon doing marathons now that really changes your experience of it? Um, I did think Lisa had a good point, actually, when she was saying about the subsections of the 100 Marathon Club. And yeah. my fear was that it could be a little bit cliquey. But actually, I think her point is that you need to have something to aim for and... The trouble is, if you do that, it's going to be seen by some people as a little bit cliquey because some people are better than others. And so what does that mean? People who are good can't, asp- can't, can't aspire anymore. Um, so, yeah, I, I completely took a point that as long as you're not excluding anyone and everyone's got the opportunity to do something, then there's no problem in having yeah. a group of people who run, run sub three or who, you know, have done on average uh, – 150 or 200 or so i thought that was actually quite an interesting point and and i think actually in running part of the the the, the, we all project our views on what we see and so i think a lot of groups aren't cliquey it's just our insecurity that makes us think they are yeah that's that's a good point i um i would i would i would suggest the same thing as well i think a lot of it's to do with insecurity um Mm. Certainly, I you know I talk from my own experience. If if um, when you're not a super fast runner, it can sometimes feel that people are being elitist. But you're absolutely right. They people people just need to be challenged. Uh, and if you don't mm-hmm. have a challenge, what can you do? You can't expect people to, to to not do that in order to in order to like play up to the people that aren't as quick. It's not it's not their problem. Um, yeah, and I think I think, I think, I, I think, but I think she she gave like she gave a, a very alternative account of the hundred marathon club, um, yeah. which I, I haven't really heard before. Yeah, um, it seemed really friendly and nice, and, and the kind of club you'd want it to be. Yeah, I don't know who I don't know where I got the other impression from. I didn't. I never really had the impression that it it, it was like that. Um, but um, but it, I mean, with anything, with anything, well, it kind of is going to be a, bit, a little bit cliquey in in the sense that. If you run a hundred marathons, you you know, you know you need to get into you need to get into that club in the first place, and so that it's going to attract a certain type of people. But you are you're gonna you're gonna go through that point of where you're gonna see all these people so many times because yeah, people that do it tend to focus on it, and then you've got to pretty much run every week for. We've well, got to do weird marathons to do a hundred marathons because you're not going to be doing London, Berlin and new york for 30 years in a row to get in everyone no. gets in probably from five to ten years of starting marathon running yeah yeah absolutely by doing running around a reservoir 20 times or you know bank holiday weekend suddenly being right what's what's everyone in the club going to uh, but yeah i think as, as well the if if you do have a viewpoint that, that some group is a little bit cliquey particularly amongst runners who don't tend to be that social or that good at including people um not you know, not intentionally excluding but i think then it just probably reinforces people's views that 
no one talks to you because they're just socially inept. And I'm not saying they all are, but I just find runners are. That's why that's why people need to think about joining the BBR running club when it when it's launched because we all are socially inept and inept at running as well. Yeah, and and if anything. I think people will try and exclude us rather than <laughs> exclude us. <laughs> try not to become members of the club on purpose. <laughs> In fact, that'd be. But we, I don't know when the club is going to launch. But if you have someone you'd like to buy membership for who would not appreciate it, then <laughs> it's the, <laughs> it's the, the Christmas present. present. It's the Christmas present that really stings. <laughs> Yeah, all your Iron Man and triathletes friends, um, buy oh, them a do bag. Would you do better? Imagine, that, imagine how bad that would be. Just that people filling the BBR running group with triathletes. It would just be the the worst thing ever. See, I think we should have a a tattoo that with some levels of membership you have to get that can be horrifically bad that you then buy for friends and you say, "I'm sorry, it's in the rules." Look. <laughs> You have to have this tattoo. <laughs> yeah. We need a designer. It's it has to be the... we impose a tattoo on you. It's it's compulsory. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've bought I bought you. I bought you top level membership. You have to have the tattoo. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And 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 to to help with that, we'll probably send a rusty biro um, and a candle. Is that how you can, can you tattoo with that? There must be heat up the stamp it in. I'm sure I've seen that in prison documentaries. Rusty Biro again. That sounds that sounds like another runner, doesn't Rusty it? Like, like two tires, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe that you should get a free bad boy running name as well. Free bad boy running name. Yeah. Oh, are we going to start? We, oh, oh, okay, okay. But we're not going to give anyone. Well, we're not going to give anyone hash type names. So they're not going to be filthy. It's not um, going to be Jizzy Pedo. No, it's not going to be Jizzy Pedo. In fact, if we did that, we could then. What? Well, no, pre- you, you could get you. You only get the name if you pay for the VIP package. But then we can print them all up in advance, which is great. Save us on save us on logistics. <laughs> Everyone just does the same name. <laughs> so just change the number at the end. It's like a it's like a password. <laughs> we, just, <laughs> we just we just get basically any old thing printed and just give it to you. It doesn't even say BB. It's not even red. It doesn't even say BBR on it. I'm like, oh, just like bin ends, whatever, you know. Actually, this is quite a, what we could do because we've got a, an episode coming up with Dan Lawson fairly soon, which we've recorded. Which, really been, good. which will have been released. In fact, of course, it would have been released by now because we've recorded in the past so um we could potentially also give re-gifted tops that aren't bbr tops that we then bbr up and so not only do you get a bbr running top you also get a rerun top a lucky dip lucky dip you could get yeah. mds or yeah. you might end up with edinburgh <laughs> oh that'd be a sting in the tail wouldn't it it's it's runners What's it called? Tech Vest Roulette. Yes, that's a great idea. Let's do that. Tech Vest Roulette. You get a so, free tech vest with it, and it, oh, you never know what you're going to get. And so, if you've got suggestions, do bad as how we can zhuzh up these tops to actually make them not just you get someone else's running top, but actually we properly 
do badder them up well, um, actually, in some way. Actually, that's that. We, we're about to add as we're talking. We're about to add that as a service on the on the uh, bad boy running shop. So basically, if there's a top you don't like, you send it to us, and for ten pounds, we will do batter it up. We will personalize it, um, customize it, and terrorize it. And we, we promise you now, do batters. We're not just going to shit in it and send it back. It's going to be better than that. We might. <laughs> we might. <laughs> we might. <laughs> we we and I'll tell you why we won't do that because the packaging cost the weight is going to be it's going to be far too expensive we'll lose too much money on that so oh yeah if it incurs any cost whatsoever that cuts into the ten pound that you spent <laughs> that's uh, there's no way guarantee. that's a bad boy guarantee we will we will never ever go above the postage cost but if you've got any suggestions of what we can do to race tops that would make them an identifiable do better bad boy running top let us know. Um, and I like the idea of having a, an exchange where bring them to Christmas party. I think we're going to be doing that anyway. And so we can collect them all together to give to Dan for rerun, uh, but potentially also to try and send some out to Sierra Leone as well. Uh, but any suggestions, get in the Facebook group, let us know. You can email us letters at badboyrunning.com. Um, yeah. Any episodes you suggest for anyone who's new to the show this week? Um, if you are thinking of running your first marathon or marathon mm-hmm. is something you've done, I would listen to Eddie, producer Eddie runs his first marathon. I think that's, we, we haven't mentioned that, but that's one of the most popular episodes that, that we've ever done. And there's a lot of really good information in there. Um, uh, thinking about all the, all the questions that a first time marathon runner has. And, uh, yeah, that was a really good one. Yeah. And actually JD, when you, you recorded a, an episode about doing your first ultra i think i can't remember were you the guest that week as such i was almost interviewing you about it because yeah it was your first ultra wasn't it and you were asking me what you the things to think about mm. yeah the difference between an ultra and a marathon um and i think you were doing the uh endurance life one yeah wasn't it, that, that sounds about right so that yeah. i mean that'd be a good one to listen to as well or if you want to find out about us coming last in a race you could Listen back to either the first <laughs> any, Medoc one. Any, any, yeah, any Medoc or beer lovers. <laughs> beer lovers, yeah, absolutely. And, um, and they're quite good to listen to as well because we're doing a trip to the beer lovers this June. Uh, there'll be quite a few do-badders going. So if you want to join us, then I'm there. If you look at the events connected to the What's Facebook the group. What's the theme this year? I haven't announced the theme yet, but it doesn't really matter because we never go to the theme anyway. So. <laughs> Yeah. I know what theme are we ignoring this year <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll figure out which theme we're ignoring but if you've got any suggestions for that as well do let us know if you have enjoyed this episode please subscribe please uh, give us a, a five star rating on iTunes and if you read the previous ratings you'll see that you can change the name of who's actually writing those so be as uh, silly as you'd like with those um, yeah anything else JD? Yeah, and uh, if you want to join along with us, um, drinking our uh, strangely themed beers from both Mexico, <laughs> Germany, Argentina, and wherever else. If you're listening uh, at breakfast right now. <laughs> if you're having breakfast right now, now's the perfect time to start. Kick it off, kick it off. Um, if you go to uh, beer52.com forward slash badboyrunning, um, you can get a free box there if you sign up and just pay posting your packaging for uh, $2.95. Yeah, that's right. And then uh, thanks to being a radar, it might have already happened given how long it takes us to get an episode out because we're so organised now we've got a backlog. But we do have a Christmas party coming up in London 
uh, weekend of the 15th, 16th of December. We're going to be at the National Running Awards exhibition, which is the hmm, second or third week of January. Google it and you can get free entry with the FYB, fuck you buddy, or by typing in the code Pato Banton. We're going to be there for both days. We will be out in uh, Birmingham that evening, Saturday evening, almost certainly at Blue Dog somewhere else. So uh, do come along if that's convenient for you. All right, man. Another good episode. Enjoyed that. Yeah, likewise. And I will uh, see you next week. See you next week, man. See you later. Bye 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 And give me one more try Cause a love like this Should I never ever die Come back